You are listening to the Jobber's Court Podcast, a podcast for wrestling fans old and new. Court is now in session. Welcome to Jobber's Court. As you hear in the intro, we are the podcast for wrestling fans, old and new. Um, back from a couple-week break that, that we've had, I'm excited to have a, a guest with us today. But before we introduce him, I just want to make sure we've got the other members of the roundtable introduced here. I, I am Rasquatch, king of Jobber's Court. I'm here with Cedric, the wise old owl of wrestling and the shining star of the Caribbean. Um, Cedric, how are you tonight? Doing much better. Instead of a shining star, I sped out a pretty big candy stone. So. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I, I don't even know why you're here. You know, that's you're, you're working extra overtime, but because I'm dedicated to the jobs court. I give you a uh, I give you a hope and prayer for a speedy recovery. Alexander, how about yourself? We we were just talking. A yeah, I can't ago. complain. We were just talking a second ago. How it is the the anniversary of, of Randy Savage's death, so you had some some good impressions for us. So, we'll I'm sure we'll see more of your your fantastic impressions later on in the show. Dig it. Oh, all right. Um, but we do have a special guest with us today, um, Cedric. Yes, we have the pleasure of having tonight, Mr. Adrian Gomez, founder promoter of MKW Middle Middle King Wrestling situated in china so this is an amazing pleasure for us to to have you on incredible how he reached out through twitter it's amazing how many folks we've gotten to meet across not just the u.s but across the world with our with our Jarvis core podcast so this is, is an amazing and honor so thank you so much for being with us hi Jarvis court <laughs> uh thank you so much for the introduction uh yeah i'm adrian from uh MKW Middle Kingdom Wrestling. I guess before we get the interview, you know, formally started, and we have to we have to make sure that you are a actual member of the court, which requires an initiation. So, if you'll hold by or stand by momentarily, we will uh, we will take care of that. Uh, Cedric, you you have the incense ready. I have the incense ready, and before I start, I must always warn folks, or not warn, just a little precaution. No animals or virgins are being hurt at this time or at any time during this recording. Unless you're spanking your monkey, and that's perfectly okay. Ooh, not right now. <laughs> bop, bop. Maybe bop. later. No, I'm getting Alrighty. a little. Ner- I'm getting a little nervous here. All right. Oh, just let it happen. Don't get nervous. <laughs> okay. Well, welcome to Jobber's Court. <laughs> oh, it, it happened. Did you feel it? Uh, yeah. All right. I, I felt something. Okay. I would say it's definitely something every time. Every time it happens. All right. Okay. So, now that now that we've got you on here, Cedric, you wanna mm-hmm. you know lead him into our our question that we most want to know from our guests. Most definitely, the question that we most want to know from our guests is what is your account checking account number? <laughs> I'm kidding. The way. Are we. We we all have a beginning. Uh, I'm not, I'm uh, not so. sure it's gonna do you much good. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
He's probably doing me better than mine. Okay. But anyway, that's, yeah, a, that's a different that. topic for another episode. But normally we, us as wrestling fans, we all have a, a start, a beginning, something that started us in, into wrestling. It could be just a character that we definitely liked a lot or a match, an event. And I just want to ask you, like, what started you in wrestling? What is that moment? Um, I think I became a full-on pro wrestling fan when I was maybe about nine years old. I rented a video game from Blockbuster. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Nintendo 64 game called uh, WCW vs. NWO World Tour. Oh, wow. yeah. I liked Revenge better, but World Tour was great. Well, you know, I mean, Revenge was the sequel. It was actually that game where after I had played it for a few days and I became familiar with the wrestlers on it, for example, the NWO brand and the WCW guys and the World Tour guys, and then uh, suddenly I, I, I end up turning the uh, TV channel on and pretty much all the video game guys that I'd seen on WCW versus NWO World Tour are on, like, you know, my TV but they're real, you know. So I saw like Hogan and like fighting Sting and all that, and I maybe it was just like a combination of the fact like it felt like a game to me, uh, come to real life. Um, and um, ever since then, I was hooked. You know, I, I I really I had seen wrestling prior to that, of course, uh, but it never really hooked me. Uh, but when I played that game and then I watched the show. Uh, and, and it kind of clicked with me where I'm like, wow, pro wrestling is like, you know, it's like a video game, mm-hmm. you know, um, except these are like real people. It's, you know, so that's, I think that was it. After that, I just became like, I guess you could say a, a super fan and I'm still here. Yeah. Now I'm in, you know, now, now I'm a part of the business. So, I mean, it, I do a, a, a credit that. So the the real question I have for you is so so what takes a guy like you over to China to to do business over there? Well, I ended up going to China pretty much right after college. Just uh, I had watched I I had watched a television show called uh, It's Funny How I just now I think about it, it's funny how much. The TV I watched has kind of influenced me. But anyway, I saw a show on uh, a city in China, and I just ended up going here. I wasn't necessarily planning on staying in China for so long. I was just going to end up uh, working there for a year, maybe uh, doing some volunteer work or maybe learning Chinese or, or getting like a job as a teacher. Um, and um, I pretty much completely fell in love with China and I, I, it's hard to see me leave. So I think, um, and, but the thing is, is that I still completely love pro wrestling. When I was back home, I'd always be involved doing, you know, like errand work and just doing everything I could for my local promotions, uh, specifically like an ACW Anarchy Championship Wrestling in San Antonio, Texas, where I went to school. Uh, I just by the work that like the promoters would let me do and that kind of thing to let me get in the business and stuff. I always, you know, that that gave me an itch to finally come into business. So 
considering the fact that China has, you know, 1.4 billion people, uh, yet pro wrestling at the moment, uh, there's no real big local product um, mm. for them. So I thought it would be a really good opportunity to bring it to them. So that's pretty cool. And then even storylines that, you know, you can be really fresh over there because nobody's seen them. So um, the, whole, the whole concepts and things like that, I could imagine, are, are great. Right. I mean, just like a simple, like, you know, a betrayal or like a heel turner, I mean, I think you get, you know, it works because, uh, this, this, you know, I, I, I'd like to say that the storylines that we present and that kind of thing on our show, MKW TV, you know, I still try to be as unique as possible, but sometimes we do dial it back a bit. We're like, okay, this is a Chinese audience. They're not used to pro wrestling, so we can kind of do this. It'll, it'll work because, you know, they've never seen something like that before. Whereas maybe in America, I would probably think, mm, they, this American audience has seen this before, you know, several times. So yeah. maybe that's not okay to do. But yeah, like you said, it's uh, it's fresh. So for for those who haven't seen any any of your product at all, how would you describe what you're doing there in, with, with Middle Kingdom Wrestling uh the kind of style, type of company, t- style of wrestling, maybe that you know is presented from from your product. Um, you know what's interesting, I think about Middle Kingdom Wrestling is that, uh, well, I mean, like, well, we do have obviously we have Chinese pro wrestlers, but we 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 combine uh, the knowledge of uh, a really great bunch of reliable uh, guys from America and UK uh, that are helping out and and teaching. Uh, the Chinese guys, as well as uh, adapting maybe their style for to match like the Chinese audience. Now, what is Chinese pro wrestling? Some people will ask that, like, what is it? For example, people have, you know, obviously Mexican wrestling would be like lucha libre, right? Like the lucha style, uh-huh. and 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 maybe the American wrestling people will try to say it's like, you know, maybe I don't know. Maybe like more focused, I guess, on like psychology of the crowd, and Japanese is more maybe look like a sport. Um, sure. At the moment, Chinese pro wrestling, I really do feel at this moment it's difficult to find like a necessarily like an identity that definitely separates it. But what we do have, I think, is we're trying to combine a lot of elements that Chinese audience likes. For example. Um, uh, we have like uh we have guys that that can do some really cool stuff that looks like uh kind of like stuff from like a uh like a Bruce Lee movie uh and the way we incorporate like like Bruce Lee choreo- choreography with pro wrestling and that kind of stuff like a kung fu kind of thing it really ends up looking really cool and it's actually a really great mix of styles pro wrestling and like kung fu and then on top of that uh, we 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 mix it with uh, a lot of our Western guys that we have, and it just ends up being like this nice marriage of styles, I think. Now, when it comes to more of a realism versus a, a gimmick or cartoony, you know, style of your characters, how would you describe that for your company? Are you gimmick driven or are you more realism driven? I would say I'm 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 personally as an American. I'm more gimmick driven. And there are a few, uh, pro wrestling promotions in, in China that kind of sprouted up. And we also have one from Hong Kong. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with like, uh, in the WWE classic, uh, cruiserweight classic that's coming up. Mm-hmm. 
one of our guys got picked up, uh, Ho Ho Loon. And, um, he, I mean, I think you guys will see his style, but like, you know, he is more like, uh, like really into like bored of it. But I personally, what we try to accomplish at Middle Kingdom Wrestling is we try to present uh, a really compelling long-term storyline uh, with characters and that kind of thing. So I feel um, I feel that uh, the the audience in China uh, gets more interested in the characters and the story and kind of the psychology. That's what we've been finding out hmm. that that you know headlocks and that kind of stuff like uh, locking up and that kind of submission style and things like that uh, maybe doesn't quite work for the Chinese audience so we, we're trying to kind of work with uh, pushing it pushing gimmicks and, and and story and that kind of thing over we have great base we have the great foundation of our guys but we also try to push the story and, and, and the simple things to get the crowd reacting to something yeah, and, and I know that makes sense. I'm a I'm a big fan of like Chinese shows and and movies, and so mm. with that with that being said, I could imagine they would love a romance type of thing. I mean, Three Kingdoms is you know that that was one of their great periods in that. So I could I could see them really enjoying a a long drawn out story, you know, on on a yeah. a basis because that's just really what they're what they're used to and what they like. Um, their movies are the same way. They're long epic. Or at least the ones that I've seen um, are, mm. you know, very long, epic styles of movies. So that makes a makes a lot of sense why you know they they would be more drawn to that. They they're not familiar with American like actual collegiate wrestling as much either. I mean they they do it, but not as not as much as like a pro wrestling style. So uh, yeah, I I could totally see how that that would work. It's a lot different than Japan where it's you know incorporating the jujitsu and the, the different things like that that they do in, in the wrestling I could see in China, mm-hmm. like having the wushu, you know, or the, the different martial arts incorporate, like you said, kung fu. I could see that being very popular uh, in those style of wrestling and definitely would, would be a different thing to watch if you mix that with uh, with a pro wrestling style. So, Right, right. And, and uh, you know, we, we, like you just said, like... Uh, how that China has like a lot of periods and stuff like that. Well, I mean, there are so many, I think, you know, for character possibilities, there's so many, there's so much potential to be found there. Um, you know, China has obviously, you know, its own unique culture of 5,000 years of history. Um, and also that includes a lot of different kinds of like, uh, like dynasties and that kind of stuff that people I think will really get into if you introduce. I mean, there's like 56 separate groups like minority groups in china that all have their very interesting distinct costumes and and styles and that kind of thing and i just think like you can add like that kind of character to these guys uh and these are completely unique fresh characters that nobody has ever seen before um that you can just tap into just by looking at a you know a very basic chinese history book um i think there's a lot of potential Therefore, and not just to capture the Chinese audience, but for somebody who's uh, a pro wrestling fan uh, abroad, uh, whether it be in America or Europe, and, and, and they're looking for something different, something they've never seen before. Um, and, and I think um, they'll be, you know, enamored with, uh, with uh, learning a lot about Chinese culture 
through a lot of the storylines that we present and uh, the characters that we have and the styles that we show. And I would think that a lot of other things, you know, the the art of war being written there and that being so popular, I would imagine, you know, incorporating a lot of deception and things like that into a storyline would would be successful as well. Just mainly because mm. that, you know, that's a a lot of what their what their culture was and you know where that comes from and things that they'd be familiar with. So, yeah, I think sounds like you know you you obviously you've taken a culture and you. You haven't been able, you know, in such a short time, been able to define an actual style yet. But using, I always think using a piece of a country's culture is really what makes their wrestling, you know, so interesting. Because um, in America, ours is all about the performance and the brawling. And I think the really interesting way to describe how you can use a country's history and, and make a wrestling product out of it. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I hope. Uh... Uh, I hope people can uh, not just uh, learn, like not just you know see a you know great matches and good story and that kind of stuff, but also you know try to learn something uh, through it. I mean, we do have a pretty big audience that's uh, well, that's not Chinese, that's outside of China, um, uh, especially uh, in America and in uh, Europe and, and Western countries. Uh, we have a very high retention rate. Uh, from viewers who watch our videos, and I think a lot of it is just curiosity about um, about you know why we do this or, or why that character is like that. Um, just like hmm, like I'm, I'm not so maybe they're not so familiar with Chinese culture, so they're trying to maybe learn something through it as well. And and um, you can learn a lot through it, you know, not just like oh that's a new move I've never seen before or that's a new character that's a new pro wrestler I've never seen before, but they're also end up learning a lot and, and loving Japan uh, because of uh, their love for uh, pure wrestling. So I think there's a lot to take from, take away from uh, pro wrestling in different countries. Uh, yeah, I, th- I, say, I think Cedric, uh, to me, would probably be able to test this more growing up uh, watching you know, the Puerto Rican wrestling when you were younger, Cedric. Do you think that the Puerto Rican uh, style that they were able to do down there. What, what, do you think they were able to translate almost like the country's histories and emotions and all that into the wrestling that they did? Yeah, d- definitely. Um, I was gonna say, I was watching um, episode one on on the MKW on the YouTube channel that you guys um, have, and mm. is is it is it exactly like you were saying? Um, Ho Ho Loon looked more like a modern, and that first episode that I watched, he looked more like a modern kid. You know, with the hairstyle, the look, and everything, and then mm, you have yeah. Selfie King, which was more of a of a comedic um, type character. And 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 just listening to you guys talk about the different elements in, in in Chinese culture, I know comedy is a big thing as well. So I noticed that it was like the modern kid versus the Selfie King guy. Almost reminded me almost like t- what Tyler Breeze is yeah. doing right now. And then the second <laughs> match, it was different. Now you had not these big guys, but you had the first wrestler that came in. He, he was done in red with the way his his paint his face was painted was something you would see in a museum based off the Chinese culture. And then the second gentleman that comes by, he had half his face painted and the other half not painted. And you can almost tell, like, wait a minute, you know, you could, from those first two matches, you can completely understand, okay, this is not your typical American wrestling. You have something that's coming from another country and then when they started wrestling it was so comedic the way the 
the one in red just jumps on the other guy, and they just start slapping each other. So I understand exactly what you're saying when you when you talk about trying to trying to connect with the audience that you have. But to answer your question, um, yeah, when if you ever watched Puerto Rican wrestling, especially when it was at its best, when they had partnership with with WWE or WWF back in the time, and some of those big wrestlers from there, also from NWA, were going down there. You can definitely tell based on their costume, you know, you know whatever uh, costumes they had on or their gear, the wrestling gear, whatnot. It definitely told a story. And you had your very exotic guy, which had the flowers and everything, almost what you're seeing with Primo now in, in Epico. But you also had the big guy that had the Puerto Rican flag tattooed or you had something that had to do with the Tainos, which is, we're talking about the, the first... Uh, settlers in, in, in Puerto Rico, the, the first um, residents, the Tainos. Mm-hmm. So definitely the culture of of the island was being translated through these gimmicks, but also something that you mentioned about learning something from Puerto Wrestling, like Japan, I think the commentators would also do a good job on that because they will give you a background, a storyline, why this character is how he is. They will talk about it almost as if it was a real character, like a real-life character. So I think that played a lot, and, and that's something that I noticed when I'm, when I'm watching wrestling outside of the U.S. I think that's the, that is the one element that I think that has been missing, which now with Mauro Ranello, which is my first time being introduced to him, was him commenting New Japan Pro Wrestling. He definitely yeah. will give you the background on a wrestler, and he will, he will relate it to the culture in Japan. And I think he's bringing that to wrestling now here in the States as well. So uh, it's big. I, I like it. I definitely, I definitely can see how you can learn something. If you let yourself like immerse in death and the company and the character in, in the culture itself. Um, what questions do you guys have for uh, Adrian before we uh, move on with anything else? Feel like didn't want to take over the interview. Sorry about that. Hello, Adrian. This is uh, Mr. Hap standing here. Uh, I first want to say Hi. welcome to Jobber's Court. Thank you for uh, being on our show. Oh, thanks and, for uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, definitely a pleasure and a uh, very exciting thing to to have uh, from China. I love I love watching your uh, your YouTube channel. Uh, I got turned on to it uh, whenever you first started reaching out to us a couple months ago. Uh, and I really definitely enjoy uh, what you guys have been putting on YouTube. Um, very different style of production. I mean, yeah, it's a it's a smaller venue, I guess, but uh, the the little intro you have with like the old school video game type feel is uh, very engaging right off the front. I'm like, oh hey, that's kind of neat. And then uh, the two you have on commentary are absolutely hilarious. I mean, <laughs> great, great color commentary, but at the same time, you also have really good interaction to what's actually going on in the ring. Um, the little breakaways you do between matches uh, really adheres to the Chinese culture. Uh, I'm watching episode three, actually, right now during this interview, and uh, you got uh, from season two, and uh, you have something from Confucius right there in the middle of, uh, of a couple of matches. I think it's really neat, just uh, definitely pulling Chinese culture into the uh, the pro wrestling field. Uh, I dig it. I dig it a lot. 
Um, my question for you, I guess, is uh, how how long have you guys been running, and uh, where are you finding your talent at? Um, we've been running since. Um, well, first of all, thanks. Uh, uh, fair comments about our product. Um, we've been running since the summer of 2015. We've been finding our talent through a guy named uh, there there is a pro wrestling trainer in China and uh, his name is uh the slam and uh, he's got his own uh ring and uh he has students that come and learn from him and he's really dedicated to getting pro wrestling started in China I mean, he's very i would say he's a very selfless guy you know he spends uh, he has spent like a lot of his own time and money to set up this uh, ring, and um, he has uh, he has a lot of uh, people that that approach him and 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 he trains them up and all that kind of stuff. So um, I wouldn't say that we have a lot of talent because of him, because I mean it really we you know we we do need a lot more, but a lot of the the base of the Chinese wrestlers uh, have come through him. So that's where we found our talent. Now, as far as like uh, some, I think maybe you guys have seen that we have some uh, foreign guys, guys from America, like Dalton Bragg or mm-hmm. um, Ash Silva or um, <clears throat> Dali Sam or uh, and so on. Those guys um, we have found just uh, through circumstances uh, that you know that very very good circumstances where it turns out. Uh, some of them are already living here, and they were pro wrestlers in, the, in their home country. Uh, we also had some. Um, we also have guys come from the U- uh, from uh, uh, Hong Kong. Uh, Hong Kong's pro wrestling scene is a little, little bit more active. As uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Zero One. Sure. Um, yeah, but oh, yeah. Zero One has a branch in Hong Kong. Um, so we use some of their guys to come up. Uh, to China, um, and uh, we bring them in whenever we have a Middle Kingdom wrestling show. And um, we also have uh, we we get contacted a lot uh, from from pro wrestlers that just they just interested about wor- working in China. They just you know maybe another country to add to their list, or maybe they're they're fans of the the product. There's a lot of we kind of have a long list of people who always contact. I dig it. I dig it. Yeah, I remember watching. Uh, I think it was a tag match with Ho Ho Lun uh, against the Slam, and uh, mm. yeah, I definitely tell from that match that uh, the Slam definitely has uh, some experience under his belt. Uh, is it just Slam or is it the Slam? <laughs> the Slam. The Slam. I dig it. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I definitely tell that there's yeah, uh, there's quite a bit of experience there. Day. I like his heel. I like his heel work a lot. Uh, that match that you're talking about, which was uh, Hoho and uh, Claude Roca. Uh, Claude mm. Roca is uh, one of the uh, – he's a – in the history of France, he's one of the top wrestlers ever. And uh, we had them facing uh, Dalton Bragg, uh, the current MKW champion, and the Slam. And um, I just thought the mix of styles there where, like, we had, like, a Hong Kong guy a French guy who has so much experience, who's been wrestling for more than 50 years. Uh, mm-hmm. Dalton Bragg, who, you know, who's, um, been, he's been able to um, have great matches uh, in America, and, and his, his dedication to Middle Kingdom wrestling is just amazing. And um, 
and the slam who you know he pretty much is like you know chinese pro wrestling icon so just having all four of these talents in, in one ring uh it was in my opinion like just a kind of ma- the kind of match that i just think like just really captures people as far as like hmm this should be interesting you know that you know where, where they're like i i'm gonna check this out um yeah i uh, i completely agree with you and uh, for our listeners out there Go on YouTube and search uh, Middle Kingdom Wrestling. I think it's season two, episode one, or it might be episode two. It's uh, but, uh, episode two of season two. Yeah, but this match, this match really does have just about anything for uh, for just about everyone. There, there's some there's some strong power moves. There's uh, some really awesome athletic uh, moves. Uh, Dalton Brad guy, he's he's kind of a mix between like American, uh, just like the American style. Uh, where it's just like a strong push kind of brawl, but he also has uh, a few cruiserweight type moves, and then you right. have the the really fast paced kung fu type style that you were mentioning between the slam and ho ho lun. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I gotta say, I'm I'm excited to see him in the uh, in the cruiserweight uh, competition or the cruiserweight tournament coming up. Uh, he very very animated. Uh, he's that that lovable kind of kid that you just want to root for, and uh, yeah, with a uh, uh, Roca that you were mentioning. Wow. Uh, anything that you've seen from old school wrestling, like 60s, 70s style wrestling, you, you see it from him. He, he's got right. that like Ric Flair almost kind of personality uh, in the ring. And uh, I, I really dig it. That, that that was a great match. Oh, yeah. Thank you. And, um, and, 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 and just to go back to uh, Claude Roca for a moment, I mean, watching him, it's just a huge pleasure. Like you just, I, I just had a huge smile on my face every time he was in the ring. And uh, like you said, uh, it's a throwback. Uh, but yet it's a throwback. Yet the crowd, and this is a Chinese crowd. Uh, mm-hmm. Remember that, and um, they were so completely into it. Uh, saying so, his, you know, there's nothing dated about. You know, he has a, like you said, like a 60, 70 style, but it's still completely able to entertain. Um, oh, for sure. Today, I mean, today. I'm, I'm not sure how old the guy is, but the guy can go. Uh, it's <laughs> it's pretty awesome seeing him move. <laughs> um, Cedric, do you, do you have any other questions? My, my only question I was thinking is uh, you were mentioning having your, your champion being represented by a, by a non-Chinese uh, wrestler. Hmm. How has the crowd accepted that? Is it something that they've, that they've taken kindly or... Because the reason I ask, I remember in, in Mexico, um, AAA, the company, when they inaugurated the, this championship and their first champion is a Puerto Rican in Mexico. That was like huge. That was almost like, what the heck are you guys doing? It was really, especially it being Mexico, that was something that many people would have thought like, you guys are crazy. That's just like suicide, company suicide. And yes, some way, somehow, the guy becomes, like, the number one crowd favorite guy ever. Like, to the point where you had legends coming up to him and congratulating him and supporting him. He went from the greatest heel to one of their biggest baby faces, and they just love the guy. It's So I was just wondering about how, how has the acceptance been? Uh, the reception of the crowd of uh, Dalton Bragg, uh, American-born, being, a, being the first ever Middle Kingdom Wrestling champion... Uh, a company based in China has actually uh, been very positive. 
Uh, people like to uh, to watch him. I think I think you know the crowd reaction when he comes out is always very big. The the fans that he has made, or he has a lot of fans. Put it like that. Certainly, we we also feel that uh, you know a Chinese pro wrestling champion when that happens. Uh, when that happens, I think it's also gonna, that's also going to be a really special moment uh, for Middle Kingdom wrestling. So you know, it was cool, it was great that uh, an American ended up winning it. But I, I feel um, the crowd is accepting of it. You know, I think what they care most about is that the person who's in the main event uh, is entertaining them and, and giving them a great match. Um, and and of course, um, if and when Dalton Bragg drops the title. It's it's it, you know it, it might end up being a Chinese guy, it might end up being a Taiwanese guy, it might end up being Hong Kong, or maybe who knows uh, maybe a French guy or or you know it's just the crowd recognizes that the person who has the belt, Middle Kingdom Wrestling Championship, is the person who um, you know that they want to see in the main event. You know so that's awesome to hear. I know. Um... It would it would make sense, especially you know if 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 you have a heel carry the the title too initially, to have you know someone something to chase you know down the road. Mm. Before we uh, we move on to the next topics, the one thing I wanted to make sure we did is let's get all your all your product information out there. Make sure everybody knows where they can can find your product, where they can see you, and we'll do the same thing at the end. But let's go ahead and get your, cool. your stuff out there before we move on. Well, first of all, our website is uh, middlekingdomwrestling.com. Um, you can check out our website. We have a lot of cool articles there. Um, we write articles uh, not just covering the shows and, of course, the, the story and all that. But uh, we also sometimes write articles about our, re- our wrestlers individually. Um, and we have a lot of cool pieces there. On We had a great piece there on the slam. Um, you can learn a lot about them. Through, through that article, Dalton Bragg, and, um, and so on. Um, really recommend you guys check that out. Also, we have you can follow us on our Facebook, Middle Kingdom Facebook, which is facebook.com slash Middle Kingdom Wrestling. Please give us a like there, and uh, we're very active on our Facebook. Twitter.com, I mean, you can follow us at Adrian, A-D-R, I A N M K W. We're also very active there. Uh, I am. I, I personally handle the, uh, the Twitter account. You can follow us on. We also have a Google Plus, Google.com slash plus Middle Kingdom Wrestling, plus sign Middle Kingdom Wrestling. Uh, we're also on Tumblr, which is, uh, you can find us at Middle Kingdom Wrestling on Tumblr. For our international audience, uh, we upload all our videos on YouTube. Uh, so just please find us on youtube.com slash Middle Kingdom Wrestling. And um, our premier product, just like I guess you could say WWE has Raw and you know TNA has Impact Wrestling and uh, MKW has uh, MKW TV. And uh, we're right now we are in the middle of our second season called Every Fan Counts. And um, right now um, we're quite satisfied with the amount of subscribers we have on the West, on the on the abroad. Uh, I think we're closing on uh, 600 subscribers in under one year uh, for 
for uh, YouTube. So we're, we're very happy with that. Um, we hope uh, we can get to a thousand by the end of the year. So um, if you guys like it and you think we deserve it, uh, please give us a like and a subscribe and uh, subscribe to us on uh, YouTube. Well, you you guys heard it. There's so many ways to to reach out and and to either see see the product or to get a hold of you personally to uh, to talk about the product. So anyone interested in in, in seeing this, you can go to any of those those sites you listed. Um, moving on, uh, you're kind of the the perfect guest we kind of felt to have today because um, our first topic is going to be about pay equality and wrestlers unions. Uh, a few weeks ago. Mm. Ryback, WWE wrestler, had had come out and had talked about some issues he had with pay and that he felt like all the wrestlers should kind of make the same amount of money regardless uh, whether you you won a lot or you lost a lot. Um, Oh, I I think he might be a Bernie Sanders guy. (laughs) Maybe. Um, So so the – Feeling the burn maybe. His his whole thing is that he feels – like the people who win, well, the he matches, got burned. Uh, yeah, he sure did. The he he said that the the people that are are winning the matches are the ones who are getting paid more, and to him that doesn't make sense because they're already making more in merchandise, they're already making more in uh, in those other types of sales. And he says, you know, the, the people who have to put them over should be making just as much money as the the guys who are getting over. So what I wanted to do is. Being our guest here today, I wanted to talk to you. We're going to start with pay equality uh, real quick first. What would be your opinion when it comes to that and when it comes to, to paying talent? Do you feel like the, the guys who are kind of booked to win more matches should should make more of the money? Or do you kind of think that the, the guys kind of having to do the job should should make just as much? I, think, I personally think it's your position on the card. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean... I don't, you know, for example, if Ryback is in the first match, and let's just say it's not a, not a big match or there's not much story going on or whatever. I, I mean, it doesn't matter who wins. I, I, I completely agree with him there. The person who, I mean, he should get the same exact payment as the, his opponent, whether he won or lost. You know, I personally think that you should get the same amount of pay as, as the person that you're facing. You know, so if you're like, uh, if you're in like an unimportant match, I guess you could say, and you get a low pay, well, the person in that unimportant match with you should also get the low pay, unless perhaps that person is a champion. You know, in the, in the mid card or upper mid card, you know, you, you know, if you're in match five of the night, then, uh, you probably should get paid the same amount of money as whoever was in match five with you together. Um, and, and so on. Um, so I, I, I agree with them definitely on uh, on what he said. But what about um, but what about in a company like them that work on contracts? So you know hmm. it's it's not like they're getting paid per appearance. Um, it'd be different. You know, at an indie show, you can do exactly what you're talking about. Hey, you're on first. I'm going to give you X amount. But with these wrestlers who are in contracts, it it right. doesn't, it doesn't really work that way. So how? How do you feel like something like that should be worked? For instance, his big gripe was that he, he had been on the pre-show to an event twice, and both times he wrestled right. with Callisto for a championship, but it was on a pre-show. So I don't know. He he kind of feels like he wants basically John Cena money, and and he's not gonna get that, um, you know, in the position that he's in. But he's saying he's only in that position because that's how they're booking him. Right. 
And so when it comes to a contract perspective, though, how, how do you feel like that works? Oh, man. A lot of things he said was right, correct. I, I agree with him on a lot of things that he said. Um, like you said, like a person who's winning the match obviously is going to end up making more merchandise, right? I mean, people, I, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily look at the statistics of uh, merch sales, but I think it goes hand in hand with the guys who win a lot. Um, so that can definitely affect uh, his money. So in that in that way, uh, he's on contract. I, you know, I'm, I'm not completely sure what kind of contract Ryback was on, you know, or in the, or, or the way that WWE does it right now. I know that they have a downside guarantee, uh, and then they, they also have a uh, per match, and obviously they include merchandise. Ryback has been – I think the most important thing for him is the fact that uh, I think it was about from several months ago uh, Ryback came back from injury. Was that true? Right, yeah, I remember? And he, he, cut, like, he, he cut like a promo, yeah? yeah? On Raw, mm-hmm. it was like a pretty honest promo, if I remember correctly. Kind of like he, he kind of went through his whole yeah, it was career basically a shoot. Yeah, it was kind of like a shoot. Sure, it was you know he, he was it was from the heart. You could tell. Ryback has improved a lot, I do think, from that time until now. What he's most tired of, I think, and this I'm just. This is, I'm just guessing. Sure, absolutely. Is the fact that he's worked really hard since then, and he's been on these pre-show matches. And I think he just feels that, like, it doesn't matter how hard he puts his effort into the show. It doesn't matter how good his matches are. Uh, he's still going to put on the pre-show. And it, I assume that anybody on the pre-show makes a lot less money than anybody on the main card of the pay-per-view. So, I mean, I think it was, for him, more than money is booking issues mm-hmm. for Ryback. I think he's got booking issues more than money issues. I think he was just trying to say, like, I've been giving you guys some pretty good matches, and it doesn't matter how hard I work. If Kalisto versus Ryback was on the main card, or if they were on WrestleMania card instead of the pre-show, when, like, people... I mean, like, that was a decent match, but you can see that, you know, nobody's in the arena yeah, you know, you know. I mean, it was just it was just starting to fill in. I think if this 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 problem would be completely avoided, I think it would not have happened, and Ryback would be happy today if he was uh, on the main card at least to WrestleMania. It's it's his position that that you know it's his booking that that's getting him paid less. It's his booking that's getting him paid less, and that's and that's precisely what he was saying is you know it's. It, I think deep down what he wanted to say was like, in real life, do you think I could beat Callisto? You know, I mean, I'm I'm going out and I have to I have to let this guy beat me. But Cedric, right? What did you think of of his comments and and what he wrote and kind of what's your opinion on this in general? Well, he 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 is the pre-show stopper, so you know he should be getting paid more money. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, you know. Not having any kind of business experience back, background, you know, or, or degree, anything like that. The one thing I, I've had this conversation many times and with other folks when it comes to other sports about pay quality and and the humongous disparity that you have sometimes within a team, a team sport. You have the star that stands out, the one that gets the most advertisement, the most promotion, but then. In a championship round game or whatever, sometimes one of the 
this, the lower paid guys is the one that stands out. You know what I mean? So it's and and usually that that t- turns around that that person might get paid a little bit more next time that their contract their contract is up for resigning or signing with another team. And and, and we've and we obviously heard the whole pay quality when it comes to jobs and Hollywood and whatnot. But when it comes specifically to wrestling, you know, he's got a point. You know. It's not his decision to be on the pre-show, um, and you know we we discussed this before. How how in the world do you build prestige on a title or or its champion when you're putting him on the pre-show instead of on the actual main card? That's all a different topic, but it's not his decision. So when you're told because you're at this point or at this level in a event, you're gonna get paid less money. It's gotta it's gotta suck. You're either a team player or you're gonna eventually say something about it. And just like Adrian said, you know, anybody who's been following Ryback's transition to Ryback from who he was to who he is today, you can definitely tell improvement. Might not be the greatest guy on the mic, but he's definitely even improved on that a little bit. In his wrestling, you can see new moves versus other wrestlers that for the past 10 years, they do the same thing. He's actually trying to reinvent or at least add stuff to his wrestling. So, you can see, obviously, the frustration and understand it. So, well, uh, like you said, he he's not just he's improved, but I think a few, I mean, a few years ago he was in the main event, right? So true. Then that's that's true. He was he definitely making went from, more money then. He he went from like almost like a failure because there wasn't no one else. He got put in the main event for the championship versus CM Punk, and then all of a sudden he just drops from grace. Part part of the reason CM Punk and then when, the company too, but that's that's another story altogether. Okay, that's a, yeah, that's all different story. But then <laughs> when people also discuss about well, he's he's not um he's not a a, a person's uh, a, a fan favorite or marketable. We've seen in the past how if you want to market somebody, you're gonna market them, even when they start off really bad. Just a change in character and persona and and who they fight, who you book them against, and how you how they win, lose, all that stuff, you can start winning the crowd. So when you say, well, you're not worth this because you're not giving us here, well, what are you doing to change that that um, chemistry between wrestler and the fans? And obviously today's fans are very different. You see them booing the person they shouldn't boo, and they're cheering the person that they shouldn't. Very different from back in the day when we when we seen matches from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But you can still do that because some of these guys, they leave the company and go somewhere else and they become, you know, their stars. So it, it all depends how you book them. Now, do I think pay, they should get paid equally across the board? Well, I like what Adrian said. It, the, the two people in, in the specific match should get paid equally. Why not? You know, I was watching uh, another company breaking down how they paid their fighters per per matches. And I was like, holy Lord. This guy got paid six digits, and this guy barely scratched five digits. But the six digits was, was five hundred thousand, while the five digits were ten thousand. Yet they were the main event. That to me is a huge disparity. Even though you understand why one guy's getting paid, why he's getting paid, it's it's tough. I think it's a really tough thing. You business-wise, I can see why you would pay more the guy who's getting more butts on the seats, who's getting most merchandise off the shelves. Obviously, I can understand why if that, that's your star who's who's bringing that kind of revenue to the company, then you will pay them more. But at the same time, if you're not 
advertising or pushing a wrestler, they're never going to get to that point. So should they all get paid equally? Maybe not. Based on that, they obviously all put their, their health on the line, especially the more the ones that do the more flippy stuff like Hulk Standing says, the one that take the most risks. Obviously, would I want to see them get paid more? Definitely, that guy that's doing more riskful things should get some pay. But sure. I don't yeah. know. Um, uh, say so my my opinion on it, I'll get to here in just a second. But uh, how outstanding! What what's your thoughts? I know this is near and dear to your heart as a Ryback fan. So what what did you think of his comments and kind of how do you feel about this in general? All right. Well, yes, I will admit I am a Ryback fan. Uh, becoming less and less recently, just because again, honestly, you're fighting the machine, you're fighting the booking. And there's really not much you can do against that. As far as the blog he put it out, I understand where he's coming from and very real emotion, very real talk coming from him. Uh, you know, he's trying to support his family, trying to support his lifestyle. And, uh, you know, I, I agree. In a, in a day and age where it is a predetermined match, everyone knows it's predetermined. Um, in an indie type environment or a local promotion (laughs) in a local promotion i agree your place on the card should really dictate your pay uh and a company like wwe where you know it's it's the machine they they make superstars they don't just make pro wrestlers you know it's about contract and it's about marketability you know back in what was it 2011 2012 when he had his main push as the right back as daniel bryan would say um the guy was on top of the world. You know, he had that Goldberg type streak going on. You know, he had that marketability. He had merchandise. I have a Ryback shirt. I have the little Ryback armbands. I mean, the guy is getting merchandise. So as far as, you know, the guy who wins getting, getting more money, all in all, you know, you're, you're going to get what, what you deserve. You know, you're, you're going to get more money from merchandise. You're going to get more money from marketability. As far as the win-loss thing, I really don't think that matters. Um, but as far as the way he went about it, the, the blog, in, in a company like WWE where there's really not much kayfabe left, uh, I kind of feel like it was almost a slap in the face to the promotion for him to go out and do that. Uh, and the main reason I say that is, you know, keep... Keep uh keep the back office stuff in the back office, you know. He's he's risking his career with the company um, by making this public, in my opinion. Yes, WWE or just pro wrestling in general is a sport, but like we talked about in our uh, pro wrestling versus sports entertainment episode, it is very much about entertainment, and these guys are not just pro wrestlers; they're entertainers, and my opinion on this is you need to go look at Hollywood, you know, look at actors. The the most successful actors necessarily aren't the best actors. Uh, look at Dwayne The Rock Johnson. The guy is probably one of the highest paid people in Hollywood right now. Not many of his movies are great Academy Award winning movies. But the guy has star power, the guy has charisma, and more importantly, the guy has marketability. And the best way to improve your marketability, I'm going to make a throwback here to 
the Rocky movie, man, the Rocky saga. You got to have a manager. You know, <laughs> get these guys talent agents. Let the talent agents work this out for you. These are what I want. This is what I believe I deserve. And make your make your agent fight for you. You know, you have a contract. Get in your contract. If you want travel and you want hotel accommodations, if you want medical benefits in your contract, get that written into your contract. You know, if you if you don't fight to get those stuff written in, you're not going to get it. You know, so the guys that make the big money are the guys that are making stuff. If you look at some of the contracts that are posted online, as far as how much some guys make, there's some mid-carder guys or even some low-carder guys that are making, you know, thirty, forty thousand, maybe even a hundred thousand more than some of the upper mid-card guys, because they have, uh, they have that in their contract. They ha- they've they've argued that they've, they've argued their long-term worth, kind of drawing comparisons to CM Punk. You know, the guy wasn't happy with his place on the card. I mean, really, if you look at it, at the time when CM Punk left, that was almost pretty much the height of his career. You know, the guy is the, the longest reigning champion of the modern era. You know, he, he's, he's bitching and complaining that he's not in the main event of WrestleMania, yet he's the company champion. I mean, pick, pick your battles. You know, think think more long-term. Don't think more in the moment, I guess, is, uh, is my opinion. You know, you're on TV... You're getting you're getting exposure. You have fans. You know, kind of. I guess be grateful for it. You know, you're, you're you're still making a hell of a lot more money than Joe Blow working at McDonald's. You know, you're making a hell of a lot more money than these guys at ROH or PWG, or TNA. Um, you know, just uh, I guess kind of be be a little more grateful. You know, this is your job. This is your career. I understand. You know, if you want more, you should fight for more. But you know you you, you got to fight for it. Don't don't get pissy and moany and just bitch and complain. You know, get yourself a talent agent, and you know invest a little bit of your own money for your long term work. Is my opinion on the whole matter. Hmm. I see. Uh, did did, Go did ahead. Ryback get fired? He he did not get fired. He's just removed himself from TV, and they've removed him until from the, TV uh, un, until this whole contract thing is figured out. Oh. So basically, it's a it's a standstill. He's not he's like holding out. Basically, if this was another sport, he'd be holding out. Isn't this the I same see. thing happened with Wade Barrett as well? No, Wade Wade Barrett on the other hand it was released, even though his contract was due up in June. They actually just cut him early. Do we know why it was cut early? Did was well, it something he requested, like amicably say, hey, you know, you guys are not really using me to the best of my ability, so maybe it'd be best to be and, and be done with it? I think part of it is... If I'm not mistaken, I, I kind of read something some, similar in the article. Yeah. They were kind of comparing both Ryback and his situation, and it was kind of similar, almost not not as much as Ryback, the way he's come out and talked about it, but it was kind of almost down that same road as well. Like, hey, you know, my talents can probably be used elsewhere better than just... Mm-hmm. Doing what think, I'm doing right now. I think Wade Barrett might have did it the right way, though. He kind of stayed quiet about it. There wasn't a lot of, like, public... It was a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that people were putting out there that he had said, but he had never come out and personally said, this is how I feel. Um, but with him, I know the main thing is it, cutting him early, they get a 90-day policy after they're released. So once they're released, they can't perform with, like, on TV 
or on a pay-per-view with another company for 90 days. They can do independent bookings and things like that, but by cutting him early, that means that he can go out and do independent bookings. He's still going to get paid for 90 days on his current contract, and then um, he'll move on to be able to do what he wants to do. But by cutting him early, they basically reduced the amount of time that he has to wait by a month. So they might have just did him a favor and were like, hey, you know, we're going to go ahead and release you early. That way you can jump back in a month early once the, the time comes. But I don't know that for sure, but I do know the 90-day thing is usually what happens when you're released. Uh, Hornswoggle talked about it on his uh, podcast with Stone Cold Steve Austin recently, and so that's that's the policy that they use. Um, my opinion on this is I don't think everyone gets paid equally. That's dumb. That would be like trying to have a guy who comes in as a we, – we have a guy in a movie that, that comes in as an extra or that's in the movie for 10 minutes and the, the leading character who's carrying the thing for an hour and 30 minutes, and that would be like paying them exactly the same. That that doesn't work. Um, but I, I, I always understood – I never understood why the, the contracts wouldn't just be like, hey, we're signing you this one-year deal. We've got you in a opening card – contract you're going to make x amount of money because you're in an opening card contract and then if something happens like six months down the road and there's injuries and they have to move him to a mid card they would just upgrade his pay to a mid card wrestlers pay and then upper mid card makes this much and your main event money is is here um and then of course you have merchandise sales and, and all those other things that are happening but i i do agree with him in one respect and that's that i always thought heels should get paid more because I I do believe that they they don't get as much of the merchandise. So maybe not anymore because people kind of like heels now. But man, back in the day, I know um, you know you you weren't gonna see you weren't gonna see a lot of heels selling merchandise. It's just like why would they? You know, and in fact, it's heelish for them not to sell merchandise. You want my shirt? Get the hell out of here, kid. You know, um, that that type of thing. And isn't that um, the whole reason why WWE has never turned John Cena heel? I mean, they said. I mean, no. they said they say because of the merchandise, that's a they big, lose so much. Money. That's a big rumor. They're also concerned about losing like viewers, viewership from the children and, and women and things like that. And honestly, the, the, same, foundation. The, the same thing is going on with Roman Reigns too. People, for as much as people say they hate the guy, I think he's I think he's lead or he's second or third in, in merchandise sales in the company, um, behind John Cena and New Day. Uh, so. <laughs> To me, it's one of those things to where, man, you guys hate this guy, but you keep buying all his merchandise. So if you want the guy to turn heel, quit buying his merchandise because that's part of the reason why I don't think they want to fully turn him because they're still making a, a profit in his merchandise. So think about it. They, they sell those shirts at the events for 30 bucks. Those things are probably 2 or $3 they're buying them for a piece. They're probably making a $28 profit then who knows how much of the percentage the wrestler gets. I can't imagine it's more than, man, 25 30% probably of the sale on each shirt. I know in the independent circuit, those guys don't make a whole lot on shirts. Even if they sell them for $20, they're, they're really not making a whole awful lot of profit on their shirts. Um, yeah, I remember something uh, back in like 2010 or 2011 that 7% of merch was the going rate. Um, and that, that would make sense to me, I suppose, yeah, just because, I mean, they're, they're already getting regular contracts, 7% of merchandise. And, you know, it, it's funny because you, you talked about agents. 
um, a lot of people, or at least a lot of the interviews you hear from a lot of the kind of old school guys, would say that agents ruined wrestling initially. Because Lex Luger was one of the first guys to come in, and he had an agent. And he got that big contract, and then from then it was just what spiraled out of control with Favored Nations and all that other stuff that Hall and Nash had and the stuff going on with Hogan. And they were like, sure, pay Hogan more money because then you have to pay us more money. And so, honestly, you know, this kind of transitions well into what we're talking about. Not Maybe not necessarily a... Um, an agent, but a union that kind of talks about for these larger companies the the pay scale of right now. Now they used to have the the big territories, and then all those territories were all the big you know National Wrestling Alliance and stuff like that, which was kind of a union in and of itself back in the day. Um, but do you think something like that could work now, um, Hawkster? What do you think if they if they were to try to bring I mean, you, you have WWE obviously doing its own thing, but what if within that company they had um, standard rules and um, payment options and the the guys had agents and there was a wrestler's union and then the owner's union and they talked about the way things would be done business-wise? How do you think that that would go over? You know, honestly, uh, I'm not... I'm not uh disinclined to the idea uh kind of like a like a players association for the nfl or the uh or uh like the any major league sport um you know i I definitely think someone should be there on their behalf um but really i mean it all it all comes down to you know you got to fight for your worth um i think uh triple h when he first went to wwe he he, uh he said in, in one of his documentaries pretty perfectly you know, they initially offered him a two-year contract or a three-year contract for fifty or sixty thousand dollars, and he turned it down. He's like, you know what? Pay me such amount for for one year. And just give me a one-year contract. After that one year is up, you're obviously going to know if I'm if I'm worth more money or if I'm worth less money. So let's let's go ahead and do this now for a short term, and then once it, once that year is up, you can go ahead and pay me more when you sign when you when you re-up my contract. Okay. Um, so I definitely think that yeah, you know, you need somebody fighting for you. Um, some of these guys, let's be honest, they aren't the the smartest financially, and you have that across any any professional sport, any major entertainment thing. You know, they're they're going out there, they're doing what they love. They're not necessarily looking out for their best interests long term. They just want to do what they love. Um, a lot of these independent guys that we're now seeing in this new era, you know, these are guys who cut their teeth. Making twenty five, fifty dollars a night, if that, you know, uh, and now they they've got this big contract and like, oh, geez, what am I going to do with all this money, you know? Um, so yeah, you really gotta know what you're worth, I guess, and I guess kind of believe in yourself. So I, I think a union or a, an association for the wrestlers probably wouldn't be a bad idea. Um, I know, uh, you know, Triple H, uh, talent, creative kind of guy. Coming from from that perspective of where he was, I think honestly he has a good or should have a good grasp on that contract type feel for wrestlers. And uh, you know now that he's I guess going up in the company and well he's been up in the company, but I think he as a head for something like that would probably be a good idea because he's been there he knows what it's like mm. uh, as opposed to you know just a 
Joe Blow board member. Um, you know, my hat's off to Vince McMahon. The, the man's a genius and the guy make, knows how to make money and make shows. But I don't think he really truly understands the the talent aspect of it or the talent point of view. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not opposed to a, uh, a wrestler's association, something like that, especially for, like, the bigger companies. Yeah. Um, for, for a, like, a small indie kind of thing, if they had an association like that, I, I really don't know how that would work because um, a lot of indie promotions, you know, they're, they're based more on, like, making money for charities, not necessarily the money for the for the show itself or money for the talent. Uh, the talent's just pretty much using those as a way to get their name out there. Um, so for the bigger companies, I, I definitely think, yeah, something like that could work. Cedric, what do you think? To be honest with you, I'm not I'm not the most knowledgeable when it comes to unions. To to be honest, uh, I'll throw that out there. I kind of looked a little bit online. I even you know, discussed it with my wife. I was like, you know, I know this was a passion of yours, you know, business and stuff like that. So how does this work? And she kind of showed a few a few of the pros when it came to pay and benefits and and you know medical coverage and whatnot. But she also showed some of the the negatives where you know they they will you know go to bat for folks and their arguments and complaints and you were like why are you defending this person when clearly it should be the other way around so you know it, I guess there's a, there's a positive aspect to it and it seems to be a negative aspect to it depending what perspective you're looking at uh, something that Hal was talking about just you know being content with what you know with Ryback had and you know doing it a different way you kind of said that the opposite of it as well you know know what you're worth and, and fight for it I think that's what the guy's doing. You know, he's pretty much, I, I just, while you guys were talking, I read his blog. You know, it seems to me that the guy's just saying, hey, you know, you're telling me why I'm not worth something. You know, you're telling me because you're losing, because I'm losing, I have to make less money, but yet you're the guy's predetermining for me to lose in the whole merchandise thing. So he's pretty much fighting for himself. And if there is a group of folks, I guess that together can be the voice for a wrestler, why not? based on his blog that he has done pretty well for himself and he's put his money to good use so he, he's claiming he'll be good to go regardless but if this I'm, is, I'm if this sure is a lot of can I'm sure a lot of guys down, are supporting Ryback right now I'm, I'm certain I'm especially the lower card guys oh yeah def definitely I'm, I'm pretty sure they are you know I, I remember Tyler Breeze somebody tweeting about his losing and and how bad he was being treated, and and so many people coming up for his defense, and then he tweets out, he's like, guys, you know, why would I, because somebody said, why don't you go back to NXT where you were doing so much better, and he's like, I thought about your comment, and then I went to my bank account, no thanks. So he's pretty, he's okay, he's not content with what he's making, doing whatever he's doing, you know, on the main roster. So And I agree with you, there's got to be a few silent, anonymous Rybacks that probably are not same much, but they agree with him 100%. Um, again, if he can have, if this, if there can be a group to voice, you know, the, this opinion. I'm not sure Triple H, because Triple H might understand this coming from where he's coming to where he's at, but he's also so into the business, the family business, that, you know, I'm, I'm not too certain if he was the one speaking up for Ryback right now with everything that's going on. So, but if someone can. 
say, hey, you know, guys, let's let's get something together where where these differences where we're not too happy with the way we're being paid or treated or something can be discussed and get to a a mutual agreement. And definitely, why why not? As long as it's it's fair and balanced, to you know, to quote another program's um, model, you know, if it's fair and balanced and it works for all sides, and it's not just somebody complaining, give me more, and then you get more, but you really don't deserve it. As as long as it's a group that looks out for the best interest of the wrestler as well as the product, then definitely, why not? Okay. Um... Before we get to Adrian, my my thoughts on this are, if you if you have a union, you do open up some benefits, and I think wrestlers especially are in dire need of benefits. Now, Vince kind of has a handshake deal, like, hey, if you're injured, I'll take care of you, but there there's no guarantee for that. And as we saw in WCW, there were lots of times where they were like, nah, no, sorry, we're not going to pay for your medical bills, we're not going to pay for your travel, we're not going to pay for, you know... And unions could solve those type of problems. Now, what do you run into? Probably lower pay overall, because now that it's going to be guarded and the unions are going to be looking at it, and you know, you your your top guys aren't going to make as much money, and your your lower card guys, your opening card guys, are going to be maybe keeping the same, or maybe even making a little bit more money. But you also got to pay the union guys. Um, so it's kind of extra mouths to feed from a business perspective. Um, but I, personally, if if it were up to me, I would just tell The Undertaker to be the new person in charge of talent relations and taking care of that type of thing. And if they were going to go to a wrestling-style union, he would be the guy that I would talk to and say, you're going to be the voice of the wrestlers from here on out if you're interested in doing it, if they've got... And, and I'm sure that this probably kind of already happens. Hey, somebody goes to this guy, they go talk to the, you know, and then, and then it gets worked out from there. So I, I think they subtly have, not, not an official union, but I think they have cores of wrestlers that you can go to and talk to those guys and go, this is my problem, what should I do? And then, hey, I'll go put a word in for you, or hey, I'll do this for you or that for you. Um, but... Adrian, what, do you, what are your thoughts on this as far as from a, a wrestling union perspective? Again, I don't know how knowledgeable you are about any of that. I know for me, I only thing I really know about is in the NFL perspective, the players' union versus the owners' union. Um, I think I, I think um, WWE should have it. Uh, as far as the other promotions, like you guys were saying, like indies and stuff like that, even DNA. And like Ring of Honor, I mean, I don't think a union would work very well for them, um, just because um, the amount of shows that they run is not very much and all that. But I do think um, WWE can afford it. And, and although, like you said, um, top guys will get paid less, you know, um, that's a fact. I, if that would happen under a union. But I do feel, I really do feel that. You know, a lot of, I mean, a lot of guys are, are paid, I mean, who are the top guys. I don't want to say, like, I don't want to say, I'm, I'm not I'm not a huge John Cena hater or whatever. I mean, I respect the guy. I, I love his matches, you know. Um, but I do know that, you know, John Cena is a top guy. 
um, you know, yes, because of ability, yes, because his charisma, but also a lot of it has to do with a little bit of the fact that, well, Vince McMahon, um, until recently, um, until recently, you know, he would keep John Cena there all the time. You know what I mean? And, um, and to the, not to the benefit of a lot of guys, you know, um, a lot of guys would go have a John Cena feud and post John Cena feud, um, they're, you know, they're back on the lower, lower, lower card, you know? So basically I look at it as a security, uh, for a lot of guys that aren't John Cena, you know, yes, John Cena might make a little less money. Um, maybe Randy Orton and, 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 you know, and them, but, you know, I think, um, you know, if you, if they're willing to, and if they really love the business, I think, um, I think maybe, maybe it's fair that, uh, the other guys end up, uh, uh, being at least a little bit closer on the playing field, uh, of, uh, uh on the money playing field, uh, through the unions. Because you never know, you know, what creative or what Vince or what Triple H want, you know, and, and sometimes what they want, you know, is sometimes not fair, you know, and, and I think unions try, at least try, attempt, uh, even though it doesn't, obviously it's not perfect, nothing is perfect, but, um, they, they attempt to make everything more fair. And pro wrestling, um, it's a fact that it's a very unfair business, you know? Um, now nobody's forcing these guys to be in the pro wrestling business, but then again, you know, what are you going to tell a guy who is a pro wrestler? Uh, and, 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 and you say, you know, go somewhere else. Well, he's not going to go anywhere else. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you're in the WWE, that's where you're going to stay. So, you know, there's no competition, I guess maybe Japan and all that stuff. I don't know how they do it. But just to go back to unions, yes, I think WWE could have a union, and I think that you would see in general, in general, most guys would be happy. You know. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I think where, where Vince is sitting right now, I don't think it makes good business sense for him, and I think that's part of the reason why it probably would never happen. But for the talent, I think that it. It would be something that could could help them um, out quite a bit. All right, so changing gears, we covered a good amount on this topic. So we want to do our instant classic match of the week this week, and that is going to be um, uh, Cedric's pick this week, which is Eddie Guerrero versus Brock Lesnar for the WWE title at No Way Out 2004. Um Cedric, with this being your match, I'm going to let you break it down um, here last because we obviously know you liked it. But I want to start with uh, Hauxter and kind of let you talk about this match um, some and let us know what you thought of, of this particular matchup for the Instant Classic Match of the Week. Viva la raza! Man. <laughs> Eddie Guerrero is like a bag of Lay's potato chips. You, you can't have just... One, uh, I watched this match. Uh, I'm actually watching this match right now on the WWE Network, but I, I watched it probably about five times this week, and uh, I, I had to go back and watch a whole bunch more of Eddie Guerrero. The guy is 
sorely, sorely missed. Eddie, rest in peace. I know you're up there, frog splashing angels right now, and uh, <laughs> and you, you are you are so so sorely missed. Lion cheat. We love you. Oh. Mm-hmm. You know, probably uh, probably bribed his way into a into a bigger cloud or stole a bigger cloud. No, you know. No, he would be he would be robbing some hydraulics Peter. on it. He would be robbing Peter to pay Paul. Continue. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I get it. That's funny. Um, but yeah, man. Uh, as far as this match, uh, before I really get into the match itself, just uh, some quick analytical viewpoints. Looking at Brock Lesnar, where he is today, the guy is the beast incarnate. The guy he walks into the ring, he's going to destroy people, and you know, like just the idea of Brock Lesnar, six foot five. You know, 260, 280 pounds. I think he was almost 290 during this actual match versus Eddie Guerrero, who's pretty much my size, 5'9", 5'10", a little over 200 pounds. Like, where's 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 the where's the believability in this match, you know? Uh, we were talking, uh, I think, about a year ago about Daniel Bryan versus Brock Lesnar and, you know, saying, well, that's not really a believable match. Brock Lesnar's just going to suplex the hell out of him and he's going to die. Um so on paper, it's like, uh, eh, eh, eh. but back in 2004, Brock Lesnar was a very different wrestler. Um, looking at him back then and just watching this match right now, he looks so small compared to how he is now. And honestly, I think he's trimmed down in as far as weight wise, but he looks so small compared to how he looks now. And it, it's just crazy to see that transformation from the next big thing to the Beast Incarnate. Um, but going into the actual match, I thought the build was pretty cool. Uh, Brock Lesnar, a little bit more charismatic, you know, speaking for himself. Uh, I got to see some of that star power from him. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, but just the uphill climb, I guess, that you kind of go into from the SmackDown Royal Rumble that they had on Thursday night where uh, Eddie eliminates uh, Kurt Angle in an awesome fashion after that suplex. Um, but going in, it's like, there's no way you can beat him, you know. Uh, Brock Lesnar said, you faced your demons, but you've never faced the demon kind of a thing. And uh, it, it was just really neat to see the build and just, you know, there's no way Eddie Goose going to win this match. He doesn't stand a chance. Um, and then going into the actual match, Brock Lesnar just dominates him. You know, he, he does that suplex city kind of thing where he's German suplex, vertical suplex, exploder suplex, gut wrench suplex. And, you know, he just throws it all out there. But he also does, like, the high knees. He does a little bit more athletic style. And it's kind of neat to see him open up his moves. Set. And uh, we talked about the the Dean Ambrose-Brock Lesnar match where uh, we're saying, you know, people were kind of complaining about the street fight. Well, all Brock Lesnar did was vertical suplex and German suplex, you know. I, w- I wish I could have seen more. And then uh, during our recap, we said, well, you got to make Brock Lesnar do more, you know, if it's working don't don't change don't you know don't try to reinvent the wheel and Eddie Guerrero did exactly that during this match you know the uh the drop kicks to the knees the submissions you know using his speed and his you know space in the ring to really take Brock Lesnar out of his element and uh despite all of that Brock Lesnar still you know beat the hell out of him and it's one of those there's no way he's gonna win this and then he it's that first frog splash and oh my gosh Brock has it or he has a chance 
and then uh, Brock knocks the referee out with the with the F five on it. Eddie Guerrero, uh, Eddie grabs the championship. Brock dodges it, takes him out, and oh no, Brock's gonna win. You know it's over. And then here comes Goldberg of all people, and I know how you feel about Goldberg, and oh, you're yeah. probably gonna rate this match a C just because it had Goldberg in it. I love Goldberg, uh, but uh, but. Man, um, I thought it was awesome that, uh, you know, after that spear on Goldberg, Eddie hits one more frog splash and gets the win. You know, sure, argue fluky win. You know, Eddie didn't actually beat Brock Lesnar. Goldberg beat Brock Lesnar, yada, 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 yada. But Eddie Guerrero is a man's man in this in this industry. You know, he's he's living proof that you don't have to be 6'4", 6'5", 300 pounds to be a top guy. You know, he, he really deserved winning the belt and uh, going on to, to WrestleMania against Kurt Angle. You know, fan, fantastic match there as well. Uh, so for me, it was it was a great comeuppance to see such a talented guy be the top guy. And I, I really enjoyed it a lot. Uh, it, it was an emotional moment, you know, seeing him stand on the announcer's table at the end. Uh, I'm not Mexican. I don't have any Hispanic blood in me. But... Uh, it, it's always great to see that pride in your heritage and Eddie really embodied that, you know, throughout his entire career. You know, he wasn't just the, uh, the Patriot from a, from a foreign nation, you know, it was, it was just who he was. And, uh, again, he's like a bag of Lay's potato chips, man. You can't have just one. You got to keep watching him. He's infectious. All right. Uh, Adrian, your, your thoughts on this match? Uh, yeah, I have, uh, I, I do have actually a lot of thoughts on this match. Uh, I saw this match live, in fact. Um, I mean, not, not at the arena, sure, but on paper. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, and, um, I do remember it quite a bit. Um, I remember Eddie Guerrero using a lot of submission moves, uh, in this match. Um, he had that. Uh, what do you call it? It's kind of like a regal stretch kind of thing. Yeah, uh, the STF. Yeah, the STF. He, okay, well, I just, I just re- always remember the the size <laughs> difference between Eddie and Brock Lesnar every time he tried to get him on the F- STF. Uh, that that was a really cool sight. Mm-hmm. Uh, another great thing about that match I remember is uh, there was a really really cool uh, reverse of the F5 into like a DDT. Yeah, it was I think cool. it was. My, I think it was done on the belt. Yeah. Um, um I think the yeah. belt was in the yep. ring, but I don't know if it actually DT'd him on the belt or not. But yeah, the belt was in the ring. It was one of those close. It was supposed to be on the belt, but yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Um, as far as like uh, the story of the match, I do remember like a couple uh, a couple of the promos before the match. In fact, I remember Brock Lesnar kind of dressed up as like a mariachi guy. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just picturing it again. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was really cool. And and yeah, uh, he had the whole band out there and everything. Uh, yeah, that was amazing. That was incredible. Uh, that was and and Brock Lesnar showed a lot of charisma right there too. I mean, he was. He was great at that. Um, so, I mean, that's like a side of Brock Lesnar that I think uh, even, I mean, like, yeah, like, I think that's probably like, maybe like the silliest thing he had ever done um, in that buildup with Eddie Guerrero. Um, and um, 
he was very like he's like he's talking a lot. He's on promos. He's carrying promos. He was he was awesome um, in this match. And then of course like the match itself. Like I said, um, I remember a lot of cool submissions. I remember Eddie Guerrero using kind of like focusing on the leg a lot. I remember and um, it was just tense. Like in a way, at that time, at that time, if I remember correctly, Eddie Guerrero had a lot of momentum. Obviously. Uh, when he came into the match, uh, the crowd really, really was ready for Eddie Guerrero to be the man. Um, and um, I think uh, Goldberg bought a ticket or something. I think that was the story. He had like a front row ticket uh, to smack that. Oh, to do smack gave, that gave it to him. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and, um, you know, that was a fun little moment. Maybe if I could think of something that I have to complain about the match is the fact that mm, maybe I wish Goldberg had a little bit less involvement in it, not because I despise Goldberg, but I'll always remember, as good as the match was, I'll always remember that Goldberg, uh, maybe Eddie Guerrero would not have won the match without Goldberg. You just kind of get that sense a bit after the match. For me, I did personally. Um, you know, I, maybe I wish his Goldberg maybe would have just, like, punched or something or just striked Brock Lesnar instead of doing that huge spear on him um, in the match. Although it was a really cool moment, um, I do wish that Eddie Guerrero uh, could have gotten a very, you know, solid victory over Brock Lesnar. Um, maybe just, like, a strike from the crowd or something like that. Yeah. Um, and then Eddie Guerrero capitalized. Um, but I, I do, I do, I always remember that I was a bit disappointed in that. I was like, oh, like, yeah, I was super happy to see Eddie Guerrero win and he had the title, but I, I was like, hmm, you know, is it, was it because of Goldberg? You know, uh, is, is Eddie Guerrero not as good as Brock? And, and yeah, it, maybe it was because of Goldberg, maybe. Uh, maybe that was the only the realistic way, like you guys said, the size difference between 5'9 Eddie Guerrero, 6'5 Brock Lesnar, it could work out. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I wanted to see Eddie Guerrero get a really, uh, clean, solid victory. Not clean, obviously, but, uh, um, just without me thinking in retrospect, hmm, uh, was it Goldberg who helped it? Was it Goldberg's, was it because of Goldberg, uh, that he's able to, to win the championship? Yeah. But, um, anyway, the pop when he won was amazing. Um, huge pop when he won. Um, I think I remember he jumped in the crowd. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was getting mauled. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I remember he's like holding onto a flag. Yeah, what, what, he had like a flag in his hand. Oh, oh yeah, like, the Mexican flag. Yeah, El Paso. It was the El Paso flag. Oh, okay, cool. Because yeah. he's he is from and, El Paso. Yeah, he's from El Paso, Texas. Um, and uh, yeah, it was great, and it was just great to see Eddie Guerrero, uh, you know, make it, you know, and. Um, you know, and, 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 and just like, uh, like what was said before, it led to his awesome, awesome match with Kurt Angle at WrestleMania 20. Um, it led to one of, pro- probably my favorite, one of my favorite moments ever of Crispin, I mean, WrestleMania 20 ending of Crispin Juan, Eddie Guerrero hugging. And, um, you know, that, uh, you know, I could say, uh, maybe it's just retrospect. They're just looking things like in, you know, um, more positive light, but yeah, that those were the good days, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I I usually judge these matches based off the reaction of my kids, to be honest with you. Because my kids had never seen Eddie Guerrero wrestle ever. Um, and they had seen Brock Lesnar, so they were excited to watch this match. And you get into it, they're they're watching Brock Lesnar throw Eddie Guerrero all over the ring. And they said, Dad, is, is Eddie Guerrero a jobber? And I said, no, he's he's not a jobber, just wait. He, keep watching the match and so, so they watch it and they start watching him work on the leg and they're like man nobody ever goes after Brock Lesnar's legs that's really smart and so they're they're breaking the match down for me as we're watching it and uh but by, by the time by the time we get to the end of the match they're like dad we need to get an Eddie Guerrero action figure I gotta have him beat Brock Lesnar you know and so now <laughs> like they, this this one match they they absolutely love him they're like he got beat up that whole match dad and he just you know kept getting up um you guys covered most of the highlights of this match the only thing i'll say and it's it's my own personal thing it was just hard to listen to when brock lesnar is yelling at eddie to die and then you've got everything going on and you're like oh brock but he didn't know obviously but now we know now i wonder if it's awkward for anyone else to go back and watch those things when he's yelling die eddie die or please you know just just die <laughs> um yeah so, so for me that was, I, I, and and the, to me it's just knowing knowing all that now i'm like Ew, yee, you know like just going back watching matches like that is just it's hard to to hear those things because then it makes you think of his death and my kids asked me too they said Dad, didn't Eddie Guerrero die? And I said, yeah, but I explained to him like it was a couple of years after this, and so they were like, oh, okay, yeah. you know. But the, to them, they just they were they they didn't know why Brock Lesnar was being so mean. And I said, well, he didn't know he was gonna die, you know. And, yeah. And so they were I think like, at the time though too, um, they were also kind of working the the angle of uh, Eddie coming back from his addiction to drugs too. And, you yeah. know, it was like you, you gave up then, you know, give up now. Yeah, so I I think it kind of made sense psychologically wise. Oh, it did, and I think when he used the word "die," you know, it was more of a quit, not not actually die. It was just a matter. Right. It was just when I listened to it, like it was one of those parts of the match where I was like, "Ooh," you know, a little awkward. But um, I want to mention. Uh, you said your kids brought up the the leg. They did. Yeah. Like, Uh oh, go after Brock Lesnar's leg. Yeah. It is actually. I think uh, now that that's been brought up, I really hope uh, in Brock Lesnar's next match that he has that uh, they kind of, you know, check out that match. And, and Brock Lesnar, I mean, Suplex City Brock Lesnar is great. He's been having awesome matches. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think maybe we can go back, we can kind of go back to, you know, Brock Lesnar, the pro wrestler. You know what I mean? Um, for his next match. Uh, whoever that whoever that might be with, and, and you know, we he actually starts wrestling again. Um, yeah. You know, like I said, it's been great the what he's been doing. You know, I mean, I think Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns is like one of the greatest WrestleMania main events ever. Um, I just but, think it, I just think it has to be the right guy. Honestly, like I said, I don't I don't think people are pushing him out of his comfort zone in the match where he feels like he has to because. It's funny how in this Guerrero match, there was times where you even saw him, as he was getting desperate in the match, he started reverting back to just amateur wrestling. And he was just rolling rolling Eddie around the ring, and he was gator rolling, and he was doing, I was like, wow, he's just, he started, it was like his character had got to the point to where he's like, I'm to the point where I don't know what else to do, so I'm just going to 
try to wrestle this guy. I have, I have, I have nothing left. I've tried to beat him, mm. couldn't beat him. And so to me, that was a psychological thing in that match where it really stood out to me where I was like, he pushed him to that limit. He had hurt his leg enough where suplexes and things were hurting, and you could tell he was selling the knee to where he was lifting it up off the ground when he had to plant weight on it so that he didn't have to actually put weight on it, which Roman Reigns could learn a few lessons from, by the way. But um, he he was able he, he was able to maintain that uh, that injury on his leg throughout the rest of the match. And to me, the fact that it pushed him, I think that that's where Lester needs to go. He's got to get that opponent that forces him to have to get out of his style. And until he until he as he did, he had to get out of that style with the Undertaker and had to go back to wrestling and go to more of an MMA or a striking type thing with Taker for a little while. But that's because Taker could push him out of that element. These other, other people, he just they just haven't been able to do that. And I just don't think Ambrose brought that out of him. And he's going to give the amount of effort no way. that he feels like giving. So I think that that's, that's really, at the end of the day, I think that's what it's about. I think you, you'd see the wrestler, Brock Lesnar, when somebody makes him do that, when somebody makes him have to wrestle. Until then, he's like, I'm just going to throw you around the ring. Um, you know, because even the match he had against Seth Rollins, I mean, he just suplexed the hell out of him the whole match. And Big right. Show... Oh, Big that, that's Show, a good point. You, you, you saw Big Show hit two finishers on him, then he stood up and beat the living hell out of him. You know, but uh, anyway, just a, just a point for that. But I definitely wanted to wanted to close this particular subject with Cedric. This was your match, uh, your pick for a match. Great pick. Obviously enjoyed watching it, so did my kids. What are your feelings about this match and anything else you, you want to cover with it uh, and and our perspectives on it? I, I did, well, I can't remember all you guys' perspectives, but I know as I was listening to it, you know, good good stuff, definitely. A few things here and there that and they have a different opinion, but I definitely did not want to interrupt you guys since you had already pretty much, like, booked me for the last the last one to talk. Um, <laughs> it was... It was in, no, and I understand, and you've done it this way every time uh, whoever picks the match is the last person, and, and I think that's pretty cool uh, the way you do it. Well, I just think I um, feel like I feel like we know you already love the match, so to me, it's I want you to hear how much we loved it. Continue. Well, <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Um, the the one thing that that I would say I, I choked up watching it. I'm not gonna lie to you guys. Uh, by the end of it, I was I was all teary. I'm not sure. I've always I've always been one of those people that kind of doesn't understand why some people when when um Paul Walker passed away, there's people that talk like they knew the guy personally and, and you saw like emotions and everything out of a character, you know, and, and I've said to myself I don't understand all these comments and whatnot, but I guess for one moment I was that guy, you know, when, when I heard of Eddie passing it, it really hit me hard. I don't really know why I don't know the guy, but I think the guy that I got to know through TV, through the you know the the wonders of of TV and wrestling, the the stories that I heard of him when people started sharing their times with him, um, HBK, sharing how this man left drug addiction and gave his life to Christ, just like HBK did as well, just like Sting did as well. I think sharing that in common, sharing the the Latino roots, sharing the passion for for wrestling, I think it really hit me hard and. As I was watching this this match, and as it ended, it it just it just hit me hard again. And I guess you've always said it. There's something special about us hardcore wrestling fans when a match or or a character hits is that to that point where we just get emotional because of it. Um, 
I enjoyed the build-up. The build-up was amazing, in my opinion, how they used his past almost against him, like like how Stanley said, you know, Brock Lesnar mentioning, you know, you're beating your demons, but you've never beaten a demon like me. Uh, to hear Eddie Guerrero say, you know, I disgrace my, my race, I disgrace my family, my fans, wrestling, myself, but I'm here to re- redeem myself. And, you know, mentioning my, my new high is the fans. I'm addicted to to wrestling and, and, and to their to their roars and, and, and applause and you know it's just amazing how he turned that around. So the 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 intro to the to the the build up to this match was amazing. The I got to give it to Taz and Michael Cole. I, I, just listening to them, what a, what a great duel these two were as commentators. I don't know what other people think. I think they were great yeah, together. Good. They did not give him a. a Taz did not give him a shot whatsoever, and I remember when he said, "Now that you've upset, now that Goldberg is in the in the arena and is pissed off Brock, your chances went from slim slim to none. To no way you're gonna beat him." So just the, the commentating was so good, you know. Throughout the match, Michael Cole reminding us the things that he gone through, the heart that he had, the passion, and you know, like you guys said, it, it was. I personally prefer this Brock Lesnar. The one that I saw in this match, the one that we get today, Suplex City guy, he was not this guy when he, he when he came in. He wrestled when he came in. This new guy was fun at, at first. I for one am not a personal fan of just Suplex City, and that's it. To me, that's not like you said. It's a psych- psychological thing. It if it ain't broken, why fix it? For for the fans, it still entertains them. And I love what you've said. That they will come where wrestle will be so good and so powerful that will it will make them. I hope that happens. Really, I hope that is the path they're taking. I hope it happens in his next match. Yeah, I, I hope it. I hope it. I would just love to see a Bray Wyatt SummerSlam or something like somebody big that could you know that that can get in there with him and force either that or just somebody really technical that can force him in there because. That that's the problem with the roster, or even a Reigns down the road, whatever it might be, just somebody that that we know can push him. So, as I was watching the match, it was a little bit anticlimactic to see when Goldberg got came in and gave him the the spear of death to Brock Lesnar. But in all fairness, talking about having the guy come out of his comfort zone, he had minutes before gone out and retrieve the championship ready to knock Eddie Guerrero out and actually win that way. That's when that's when Goldberg comes in, does the spear. Eddie does pin him, but he Brock Lesnar kicks out. And then in typical Eddie Guerrero fashion, it was amazing. Uh, minutes before this all happened, it was amazing to see when Brock had him in some sort of hold, him looking up, stretching his arms, and, and kind of giving a prayer and that was pretty cool as well. Even that was amazing to be added yep. to the match. But outside of that, going back to to the moment, you know, like I said, he brought the he did bring the the belt in. So kind of Goldberg kind of saved the match. Kind of try that's the the thing that they were trying to play. But then Eddie looks at the belt, gives it the famous Eddie smirk, which I think that's what melted me a little bit in my heart when yeah. I, I I teared up when I saw the famous smirk. Grabs the belt, misses when he tries to hit him. And that's when the that's when the belt falls. He goes into, a, I think he goes into an F five combination where Eddie just turns it around, hits him with a, a kind of a tornado DDT looking move, and that's when he goes up to the 
to the top rope and hits one of the most hellacious frog splashes. And it's amazing when he grabs him, just calls the ref to start counting. And it was amazing. So for me, I don't I don't see it like he he won because Brock uh, Goldberg intervened. That's the only reason he he won. It was this is a pretty almost thirty plus minute match where throughout the match he was softening up Brock Lesnar, pushed Brock Lesnar to the limit of what do I do now? Almost went and tried to look for the easy win, which was not easy. Obviously, they have been fighting for over 30 minutes. And yes, obviously, Goldberg speared him. He did kick out, and the, the rest is history. So for me, it wasn't so much, oh, he's that's the only reason he won. There's more to the match. Just thinking that way kind of takes away from the match. So for me, that's not the only reason he, he, he won. He played a pivotal part at a pivotal moment, but definitely, I think, well-deserved. Michael Cole's reaction and, and hollering and Taz, that was amazing. Jumping into the crowd, hugging his mom, getting on, on, the, on the table. Just It was just probably one of the greatest moments I've ever seen in, in wrestling history. And the love that that crowd had for him, I think, only matches the love that the crowd had for Daniel Bryan. So I think that was just an amazing, amazing moment uh, in, in wrestling history for me personally. Awesome again, Cedric. I just want to say thank you for that for that particular pick of, of the matches, and uh, it was a it was a great selection. Looking forward. I always love sitting and just watching these with my kids because these are obviously great great matches, and uh, well, there'll be more to come with uh, with these every week. But the final thing we have on our plate is to do our fantasy booking for the week. We're getting close to two hours, so uh, but take whatever time you need. But what we're going to do today is be talking about. Uh, Two tag teams, um, which uh, who are we doing this week? Oh yeah, sorry, it's the Addiction, <laughs> also known as Bad Influence, versus the Brainbusters, which most people may or may not remember them. When they wrestled in the, the WWF, it, it was Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. They called themselves the Brainbusters at that time. They were managed by Bobby Heenan. Um, so Cedric. Do you want to talk to us about the Brainbusters and what your thoughts are about that tag team? Okay, the Brainbusters. It was very difficult to kind of separate them from the Four Horsemen because obviously that the prestige that is carried with just that name, that stable, it's it's just crazy. But it was it was very different the build that they had as the Brainbusters while in WWF. Obviously, Arn Anderson, the greatest. To me, spinebuster. Yeah, the the greatest spinebuster move ever. I know many have tried to imitate. I think Triple H has one of the the ones that I most admire. But his was just unique and special. And I still remember when he did it to Undertaker on, with in a Ric Flair Undertaker match. Amazing when he came out of nowhere and did it. But um, just a really good technical wrestling, but also had a little bit of broad broad style as well. And when you add him with Tully Blanchard, who on his own merit has an amazing, his you know his his career is amazing as it is. But when you join these two guys together, they mesh very well. There, it was a combination of just a very brawling type tactic, but a little bit of technical wrestling, not just the spine buster, but the suplexes, the axe handles from the second rope, the focusing on one body part and just trying to beat that body part to a pulp and. The double teaming that they had together was was beautiful. You know, either one of them would lift an, uh, a knee right outside between the two ropes, 
Here comes the head. Here comes the back, the kidney area. Sorry, kidneys. It was just good. <laughs> yeah. It was just good wrestling together. And and they also knew how to take advantage of the five count or take advantage when the ref was not looking to do some of their dirty plays. You know, you can't you can be associated with Ric Flair and not have a little bit of that dirty player mentality as well. And then you combine it with Bobby the Brain Heenan, who to me is one of the greatest managers ever. And just watching some other matches, didn't realize how much the darn weasel got involved in the matches. There's a reason why he was called the weasel. And the years as was that? I said, and the brain. Oh, he was the brain. There's no the the man <laughs> understood wrestling. So, but he he was kind of a weasel as well. Three years in the WWF, they've they've been uh, three times WWF tag team champs, and obviously in an era where tag teams were not. Lacking, you know, feuded with the Rockers, Heart Foundation, Strike Force, but one of their biggest ones at the time was with Demolition. So, all in all, just uh, I love the revival because the revival reminded me so much of the Brain Busters, and they were the originals and for for my era. So definitely, just a, a good tag team, just a good solid tag team. But where I think their style. Might not be as appreciated today as it was back then, but definitely it is a style that fits at any era. Alexander, your thoughts? Yeah, I uh, completely agree. Uh, for you guys uh, who are modern fans, uh, who are fans of NXT, fans of the Revival, go check out the Brainbusters, and you'll, you'll see why a lot of people are so high on the Revival. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to to say anything really bad about Tilly. And, uh, and Arn, guys were uh, ring generals of their time, some of the best tacticians. I mean, yeah, sure, they were brawlers, but the guys were smart, very methodical in, in everything they did. Arn Anderson, man, he'd pick a body part, and he would just tear it into it every single match. And uh, it, it's hard to, to separate them from their, uh, their their NWA or AWA Four Horsemen days, Um but you still got to really enjoy what they did in WWE. Um, honestly, I think their best days were as the Four Horsemen. I enjoyed them more there than I did as the Brainbusters. Uh, but again, you know, multiple time tag champions. I uh, really can't say anything too bad about them. Uh, no flips, just fists, as the revival says. That's exactly what these guys were. Adrian, did, do you have any memories of Arn Anderson or, or Tully Blanchard? Uh, at their time in, in WWF, or do you mainly remember them from the Four Horsemen? I just remember them from uh, their Four Horsemen stable days. Uh, I never seen a Brainbusters uh, or Brainbust WWE Brainbuster name uh, tag team match. I mean, of course, I've seen a lot of Arn Anderson and a lot of Tully Blanchard, but I'd never, I never, I, I did not even know that uh, that they had a WWE that they had a uh, WWF run. It was probably uh, as the brain. Was probably a little before your time, so it's understandable. Uh, but um, you know, Arn Anderson. I love Arn Anderson. He's a uh, he's he's a man. <laughs> just though I don't know, like just something about him. Just uh, um, there's a lot to learn from him. I think I I think he's probably one of the guys. Like if anybody. Um, wants to play a tough guy um, in the wrestling business. I always suggest look at Arn Anderson. Um, 
I just absolutely love his style. And, um, and I love his, uh, I love his spine buster. That's one of my top favorite moves ever. And a lot of guys do it. A lot of guys have been called Anderson, yeah? Carl Anderson, CW Anderson, they all try to do that spine buster. Triple H too, yeah? Triple H, as was said before, does a really great one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Arn Anderson. Oh, and, and just one more Arn Anderson moment. Uh, even though it's not the tag team brain busters and, um, but, uh, I love at WrestleMania 18 when he busted that, that, uh, that, uh, that, that, and that Ric Flair versus Undertaker match where he, he came in and did that perfect Arn Anderson spine buster. Um, that was great. But uh, as far as the brain buster tag team, um, nah, I mean, I'm interested now. You know, now that you guys mentioned it, uh, sure. totally, totally another, another just, just brutal guy, uh, totally Blanchard. I will definitely, well, well, I have a question for you guys. Uh, which, which match do you think the Brain Busters, uh, were best at when they were in the WWE? Uh, I personally would watch their stuff with, <clears throat> with Demolition. Mainly, okay. Mainly because, you can see how they worked even against larger guys, and even though they were outpowered in those types of matches, they were still able to obviously, you know, show that they could they could wrestle with guys that size. And then maybe watch a match with them against the Rockers, so then you understand that they could wrestle with guys who were way faster than them and still isolate. Yeah, them. well that that so, sounds amazing. <laughs> the Rockers uh, and Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard. And same ring. And and I, they probably at some point wrestled in in AWA or NWA. You know, at, at some point they, 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 they probably had. Yeah, I would say they probably had crossed paths before that. But um, for me, the the biggest thing is nobody isolates a body part better than Arn Anderson in the history of wrestling. I don't I don't think there's a single person who can isolate a body part, work it, make everything look like it hurts. Um, and and everything both him and Tully did look like it hurt. Uh, when when they were out there using those moves, I love slow pace, methodical psychological matches, and so obviously these these guys are right up my alley. Um, but then they know when to flip that switch and, and go from a slow methodical to to the power moves and the you know and the finishers and, and those types of things. So to me, my my memory of the the Brainbusters, uh, I actually had never seen. I didn't watch WCW at all, so my. My first time I ever saw them was in the was in the WWF. I had no idea they had wrestled anywhere else when I was younger, um, and so obviously that I got to see their their tag team for what it was in the WWF. And I do agree their their stuff was probably better before this, but still a great tag team. Bobby Heenan did a great job with these guys as, as a manager. I always love when they were kind of getting a team was getting the best of them. They just slide out of the ring and, and Bobby's huddling up with them, talking to them about something or. You know, trying to tell them, you know, what what to do, or they're in the corner talking to each other about something strategically. You just you don't see that as much nowadays with tag teams. I, I really wish you did. Um, but all right, so we've kind of covered the Brainbusters, what they're all about. Uh, I'm gonna flip the switch a little bit, come back to Adrian for this one. Do you want to tell us about the addiction or our bad influence? Sure, Frankie Kazarian uh, and Christopher Daniels. They have a long history together, actually. They both come from the West Coast, uh, pro wrestling scene. 
they all they both spent a lot of time in uh, PWG. Also remember that uh, Frankie Kazarian and Christopher Daniels would wrestle a lot in uh, Chicago at Windy City Wrestling. From what I understand, they just became really great friends for several years. So when they were in TNA Wrestling, uh, they formed the uh, Bad Influence tag team, which uh, actually they were a huge highlight on TNA Impact, and especially at a time when there really weren't that many highlights. They work so well together because I think they're about the same age. They have about the same wrestling experience. They just are really natural together. On top of that, they also bring each other. They kind of bring out each other's like charisma. And then they left. Uh, they left bad influence. And then they made. Uh, what are they called now in Ring of Honor? The Addiction. Or the Addiction. Yeah. And yeah, they're having great matches. You know, um, they're they're having. Uh, Awesome matches in Ring of Honor, uh, that with, you know, Young Bucks and a lot of, uh, like, Cedric Alexander and ACH in them. And I, I think they're, they're awesome. And what I like about them is that, um, they've gotten really a lot smarter with their wrestling. Frankie Kazarian, I, I've seen him live a lot. I don't know exactly how, what their deal is with Ring of Honor or whatever, but it, it you know, they, they just seem to be a really big part of it. Um, and that they're, that they've developed like, uh, they kind of reinvented themselves, did Christopher Daniels and, uh, Frankie Kazarian. It's really cool that they're, that they're very rel, they're still very relevant in the scene of, of, uh, you know, great technical wrestling. You know, we all knew, we all, we've all heard of Christopher Daniels, like in, you know, first ring of honor show. He's, you know, one of the top guys along there with AJ Styles and, uh, 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 Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan, to be to watch them and, and how interactive they are. So they're a really great tag team, uh, I think. The Addiction and uh, I'm a huge fan of Christopher Daniels, um, really am. And uh, Frankie Kazarian too, I, yeah, former PWG champion. And uh, but it's cool that it's cool to see like two veterans out there uh, having awesome matches and just being really uh, entertaining. So that, those are my thoughts on the the addiction or bad influence. Awesome, um, Cedric, your thoughts? Yeah, just I think I think pretty much uh, Adrian covered a lot of it. You know, you have two veterans uh, at this stage in their in their careers, uh, Frankie thirty eight, Christopher Daniels forty six, and they're still relevant. They still can go at it with kids as young as the young folks are. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. pretty old. He's been wrestling and, uh, a minute. Wow. You know, I, I, I he, thought he was like 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 late thirties at most. Damn. Okay. Yeah, he's, he's really late thirties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's past thirties. But um, you know, it, it's sad because I, I think if he never, a lot of folks will kind of measure his career based on if he ever makes it to the WWE at age 46. I know AJ Styles is in his early 40s, but obviously AJ Styles has pretty much transcended a lot in wrestling, so it, it was understandable when they brought him in. That star power definitely was understandable. I don't think we would probably ever see the fallen angel Christopher Daniels in a WWE ring, but by no means is his career tarnished. He's one. He's like one of those Athletes that never won a championship, but they became legends in their own right. And I think he is that in, in the indie circuit. I've always liked his wrestling. 
think he's very technical, very good wrestler. I agree that his charisma has pretty much kind of grown more now. Long story short, bad influence, the addiction, however you want to call them. Very technical. The BME, still one of my favorite <laughs> moves that, that yes. uh, Christopher Daniel does. I love I love because he, he'll announce it, BME, and usually the crowd yells best moonsault ever, and he'll do it. Still looks beautiful. And and Frankie has a few moves, and, and together they – them two together have pretty devastating tag team moves and finishers, so – it's it's a pretty good a, a pretty good um, tag team and, and like Adrian said you know in their time in TNA and even Ring of Honor they have faced some of the best young tag teams that a, a veteran team can face they've lost some they've won some but definitely I'm pretty sure the the true winners will always be the the young teams learning from this this old veteran team. All right, uh, Hawkster. You may worship us <laughs> now. Man, I love, the I love finger. Oh yeah, freaking! I love Kazarian and Daniels. Uh, no matter what you call them, they're uh, they're very entertaining uh, throughout their careers in whatever company they've worked with. These guys are a these guys are a staple of indie wrestling as a whole. And uh, honestly, without the influence. Of bad influence. Uh, yeah, yeah, see I what there. Nice. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't think you would have some of the uh, some of the great tag teams that we're seeing today, uh, i.e., Motor City Machine Guns, the Young Bucks. You know, um, these guys. Th- these guys are excellent, and they they brought up a lot of these big name tag teams that we're seeing throughout independent wrestling right now, and even through like New Japan. And some could maybe even argue WWE uh, with some of the teams that we're seeing in NXT that have come from indie backgrounds. These guys are are a staple. Uh, as far as in the ring, yeah, uh, they've they've won championships, multiple promotions. Uh, they've also kind of done the job and put a lot of other teams over to help build their success. But the kind of experience that these two have and impart on just the wrestling world. Uh, it is definitely undeniable. Um, one of my favorite matches from them uh, was at Slammiversary uh, in TNA, where they're up against Kurt Angle and AJ Styles, two arguably of the best professional wrestlers of all time in AJ and Kurt Angle. And Kazarian and Daniels take it to them, and they, they hang in there the entire match. Uh, it's, it's some excellent stuff to see them do. Uh, as indiv- as individual wrestlers, they're both awesome. Together, they 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 really bring out the best of each other. Uh, like you were saying, Adrian, um, there there's just uh, a notch up in the uh, in the personality or charisma meter whenever those two are together. And uh, you know that comes from being best friends and road buddies throughout such a long career. Uh, guys that have been trained, you know, same place that uh, John Cena was. So. You know, the, they they have something very special, and uh, I, I love it. One of my favorite moves that I've seen them do is uh, Daniels will Irish whip Kazarian into the ropes, come back and do a hip toss on him, and then Kazarian will do the hip toss and land in a leg drop on the opponent. And uh, it's just something very unique, but something very cool. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I, I love these guys. They're, they're awesome. Have you guys uh, seen the... Uh... 
the updated version that they do of like uh where Christopher Daniels does the BME moonsault and then as he's going down um just Kazarian will push him down to add extra impact uh, in fact I, it's got like a new name um you know how the yum I can't remember the name but it it's a, it's it mentions uh it's like best it's uh, like super know, best uh, moonsault I can't remember it's what it's the best Meltzer. Best Meltzer. Yeah, best ever. Meltzer. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say the Young Bucks called the the Meltzer driver, but this is called like best Meltzer or something. I can't remember what it's called. Best Meltzer ever. It's still yeah. the BMB. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's a really that's cool that they're just always doing some fun, cool stuff all the time. And that that, that best Meltzer ever happened just at the. Global War show hmm. um, at the pay-per-view, I think. Mm-hmm. For my my thoughts are, I I just thought it was interesting that that Suicide and Curry Man were on a tag team. Um, that's <laughs> that, at the end at the end of the day that that's that's the way I looked at it. But uh, so um, I like these guys a lot. Obviously, a much better heel team. Um, to me, I think they did a really good job of what they've been doing in Ring of Honor as a, a as a heel team. Um, I I think that the uh, to me I, I was never that impressed with these guys as individuals, but I, I enjoy them a lot more uh, in in a tag team setting. Um, the real question I have for you guys is if they were to take on the Brain Busters, who wins? Cedric. Oh, you, you picked me first. Gosh dang it. <laughs> Are you still torn? I I had to think about this really long and hard because you know how, you know I always tell you guys that I try to stay away from the prestigious matches. I start I try my best to stay away from what stable they were part of to the prestige, the all that stuff because then that that is the easiest way for you to be influenced in a good way, not in a bad way. Sure. To join to to your pick. But I went based on what I saw. I searched on the WWE app or network Brain Busters. And outside of all the Brain Buster finishes that I saw, the few matches that they had, there was something particularly that caught my attention. When the Brain Busters fought against Demolition, they were outpowered. And when they won, it was either by a DQ based on Demolition doing something stupid, or it was with inter- with Bobby the Brain Heenan some way somehow having his hands on uh especially on the two out of three falls and Andrew the Giant in a in a specific chair that came into play. When I saw the brain busters face the Rockers, the Rockers dominated them speed wise. And it didn't take away from what the brain busters were doing in the ring. Don't get me wrong, they still did their thing. But they were dominated whether it was speed or power. And that to me I was like, man, this is huge. Then I watched a few videos from from Frankie and and Daniels, and I was like, you know, win some or lose some, these guys are who they were, and they faced a big guy like Abyss or or Parks, as he was named at the moment, or they fought um, Bubba Bubba Ray and and Sting or Magnus and Sting. You know, they fought big names, but they always stuck to what they did best, which which was their tag teaming, their moves. So. 
you know, they fought against the Marcos. And like I said, you know, win or lose, they were a certain way. And and when I based it on that, I said, you know what? A lot of people might think I'm crazy. But I would see the Brain Busters winning with intervention from Bobby the Brain Heenan or some sort of heel tactic, but both of them being heels. And if I just kept them among themselves, I'm going to throw it. I'm gonna throw a, a big one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with a bad bad addiction. I'm a big Christopher Daniels fan. As you guys know that. And as a tag team with a bad bad influence, the addiction. All addictions are bad, I think. Anyway, I'm gonna go with them. I'm gonna go ahead and pick them. You know, I, I know what the Brain Busters did outside of WWF when they were not the Brain Busters, but the Brain Busters that I saw today, specifically in the WWF. I was I wasn't sold. I I think it will be a great match. Definitely will be a great match. But I'll I'll go with them. That's just my opinion. Okay, um, Alxter, what do you think? Alrighty. Well, to be honest, this was kind of a a hard comparison for me. Uh, and the main reason for that is because Daniels and Kazarian. They were at their best, you know, all the tag team, but they were at their best just about everywhere they went. And the more they've gone on, it seems like the better and better they're getting as a team. And for Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard to, to limit them as a team to just their run in the WWF as the Brain Busters and not include any of their time as the Four Horsemen or as part of the Four Horsemen, I think kind of limits them quite a bit uh so to take that out of the equation uh i think really kind of hurts the uh the booking of this match um so really for me i kind of went in and just took a hole from from all their times teaming together um and as much as i really enjoy kazarian and daniels to see what they do it's it's really hard to go up against arn anderson and tilly blanchard the guys were brutal the guys were just insane with the amount of pain that they can inflict. Uh, you know, talking about isolation from the corner, talking about tearing down a single body part. And uh, for me, some of my favorite matches with Daniels and Kazarian are matches that they lose because uh, I think they sell in a such a great way. Uh, so for me, booking this match, I, I have to give it to, to the Brain Busters, Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard, uh, only because I like I, I like seeing Kazarian and Daniels lose more than I like seeing them win, if, if that makes sense. So <laughs> I kind of I kind of want to see them get their butt kicked by by Arn and Tully. Adrian, what do you think if these two kind of paired off against each other? Who who would you see coming out the victor? Uh, I think. Uh... I'll change it up a bit. Um, Brainbusters were heels, yeah, in the WWE. Yeah, both both teams were heels. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'll change it up a bit. Uh, I'll uh, I, I, I'll have uh, I'll have the Brainbusters be face in my in my match uh, if they faced each other because I think bad influence addiction they are just so good as heels and I think uh, you know what I know about Tully and. Uh, and Arn, uh, the Four Horsemen days. If I look at him as having like a heel versus face match, then I think it'd be a great, great, great match if uh, if uh, 
if we had the 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 addiction messing around uh doing cheap tactics um and um at the very end uh the brainbusters uh get get that uh get that win on them after a big comeback so uh there i think uh like what was said that the the uh the addiction they're putting guys over yeah and uh they they still come out looking strong uh, even when they lose um so i think uh i think the amount of selling uh that the brain busters could do uh i mean that that uh the addiction could do for the brain busters would be amazing and i think uh uh if if i had the addiction be evil bad guys and brain busters be good guys i just think uh um it would be like a really perfect uh good versus bad guy match hmm. um, so i i will go with uh, i would put i would put brain buster joe over um but at the same time um the addiction would look strong and uh would look very conniving and, and you know do the little tactics that that we love to see them do so hmm. i would have a brain buster win I'm I'm actually going to take uh, suicide and Curry Man in a in a in a victory in in this one. I I I, I kid I I do take them to win, but I actually noticed a lot of the same things you you did, Cedric, from the, the little bits I got to watch. Really, Bobby Heenan is is a big factor in the in this match for me. But if we're gonna if we're gonna have them heel versus heel, um, honestly, I I, I think that the damn thing would end in like a double disqualification or something like that mm-hmm. realistically but if i got a book if i got a book one to win you're right i think they they're the type of team the brainbuster type of team that get put at that disadvantage a lot of times and so when they do get the win it's all it's all heat it's all cheap heat stuff that they that they get to to really get over on their opponents it was hard to find one where it's a like a clean dominant victory from them and i think part of it was this was kind of toward the end of their their primes um, as performers. So uh, I actually would tie this up, um, and I, I would say that the the addiction uh, would would be victorious over the over the brainbusters only because we're hamstringing them, much like we did Edge and Christian as the Brood. Um, we're hamstringing them um, in this particular role in this particular gimmick. If it's Tully and Arn from any time oh, yeah. then they're gonna just dominate them no doubt about it but since we're only using the brain busters i'm i'm gonna say that it should be the addiction coming out on top in this one and as far as who moves forward i guess we'll we'll, we'll figure that out maybe maybe put it up to a vote somehow and uh well, we'll go i there. will say this uh as i said a bit a big factor in my decision was their time in four horsemen so I'm perfectly okay with putting Kazarian and Daniels over, especially if they finish with that back body drop into a code breaker. That's that's such a great move. Have you seen it, man? That's crazy. Yep. <laughs> I'm sorry. Big fan. <laughs> <laughs> I uh I think I I think if uh, if we only consider it from that respect, uh Hulkster, would that change your opinion? If we Yes only... indeedy. Okay. Then that's what we'll do then. We will move uh we will move the addiction forward then in the in the tournament and the brain busters um, will be eliminated in round one. Well, great job guys. We had a couple technical difficulties. 
but we have survived them, and uh, here we are. So I just want to say thanks again to Adrian for being on the show with us, your, your insight particularly talking about uh, you know the, the booking of a few things, paying wrestlers. It just, it's invaluable because none of us have, have done that except on Total Extreme Warfare, the video game. Get it. Um, but uh, I just want to say thanks for having me on the show, and I just want to give you one last opportunity to let people know where they can find episodes of uh, Middle Kingdom Wrestling. Um, go ahead. Floor is yours. Okay. Um, I'll just go ahead and uh, plug the uh, plug our uh, YouTube account again. Uh, our premiere show is called MKW TV Chinese Pro Wrestling. We are in the middle of our second season, and uh, one thing I want to uh, leave you guys with here for your fans listening to uh, Jobbers Court is uh, uh, we will have probably the biggest episode of our history uh, at the end of this month called MK called uh, uh it's gonna episode four uh, episode four of MKW TV uh, Chinese pro wrestling will feature a huge first ever uh, six man tag team match um, where we're gonna and it's gonna be uh, full of several uh, international styles. Uh, we have Chinese pro wrestlers on the UK, American, Hong Kong, Singaporean, all in one team. I mean, all in one match. So if you guys want to see several different styles, um, one match, and this is like a, a, a feud that's been building up for a long time. Um, in fact, we've, uh, if you guys watched the latest episode of MKW TV, episode three, uh, we do a whole build up video to explain the six-man tag team match, um, which uh, is uh, Big Sam, Andrew Tong, the statement Andrew Tong, Black Mamba versus Ash Silva, the Eurasian Dragon, and a mystery partner. So um, please look forward to that. Um, find us on our website at middlekingdomwrestling.com. Facebook.com slash Middle Kingdom Wrestling for and like please like our Facebook page. Follow MKW on Twitter at, at Adrian MKW. Find us on Google Plus, which is Google Plus, Google.com slash plus sign Middle Kingdom Wrestling. Find us on our Tumblr at Middle Kingdom Wrestling Tumblr. Um, and I think that about covers it. And if any of you guys speak Chinese, find us on our Yoku or our Weibo at MKW Wangua, which probably not, but I'll just plug it in anyway. Friend of mine does. <laughs> I'll let him know. So cool. <laughs> he, he likes wrestling and too. Uh, he watches American wrestling, so I'll have to see what he thinks of the, the you know Middle Kingdom stuff. So should be great. Cool, cool. And I also want to say, I also actually we just uh, yes uh, two day, uh, yesterday we had a, a huge announcement. Um, for Middle Kingdom Wrestling, uh, we will be, uh, uh, if you guys are get hooked on Middle, on MKW, on our show, on our premiere show, MKW TV, Chinese Pro Wrestling, we do have two seasons tapings announcements. So, uh, in fact, uh, we will be going to Thailand for a double, uh, for a, uh, a, a double shot event in, uh, Pattaya, Thailand. Um, so that's where we'll be filming MKW, the next season MKW, 
Um, and then uh, we are looking into going back to China. And this time, you guys maybe are used to seeing us in the same venue, kind of a small little gym. We will be in Pattaya. I think the atmosphere of MKWTV will be much better because will, we will be in a 1,200-room stadium. And uh, we we are intending to sell every single one of those tickets. So um, I think the atmosphere of MKWTV will uh, really benefit from having a uh, stadium feel with uh, over a thousand people in attendance. And uh, we also intend to uh, have a hotel show in a hotel lobby, which again, much bigger attendance. And I think the atmosphere um, of uh, MKWTV Chinese for Wrestling is going to be really, really cool. So please... Uh, follow us. Uh, I'm American and I com- always, uh, try to, uh, get, as an American, I try to get people into Chinese pro wrestling. So, uh, you know, if you have any questions, if you see MKW, always shoot me a message. You know, uh, maybe some people feel that all the owners are Chinese and we do have Chinese, uh, uh, people who run the things, but, um, I'm happy to answer any questions. So there won't be any language barrier about that. So. Um, but yeah, thank you. Uh, thanks to Jobbers Court uh, podcast. Uh, I had a really great time to be here. Not just uh, not just to talk about uh, the Middle Kingdom wrestling uh, product, but um, I really enjoyed the uh, the discussions that uh, I had with all of you guys. And um, I hope your fans uh, like this uh, episode of uh, Jobbers Court. I'm sure it's just nice to meet people, meet new people, and to get in, and sit and talk wrestling for you know two hours with with someone. You guys have any any last words for Adrian before we uh, adjourn court? Yeah, Adrian, I just want to say again, thank you for uh, for being on the show. Uh, I'm loving the product that you guys are putting out over at MKW. <laughs> awesome, Cedric. You got anything? Just much success to you. Thanks for being here with us, taking the time. Thanks for reaching out on on Twitter. It's, it's been a pleasure. It's uh, I don't know how you do it. I think I even send you a message on Twitter like, hey man, how, how did this all come about? Because it's it's an amazing. I'm pretty sure it's an amazing story for another day. Definitely, we would love to have you back at some point down the road. Ladies and gentlemen, I've got two words for ya. Court adjourned. <laughs> all right. So I guess we'll find out, but uh. If not, I'll do the outro myself, and then uh, I'll make fun of you. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) All right. right. Well, that was uh, court, court, court is adjourned.